Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. I want to welcome you to this week's May Chexic discussion group call for tactical sovereignty. This beautiful Sunday, the first day of the week, not the seventh, not the Sabbath. That's all you need to know on that. You don't know already you should anyway we're just chit-chatting this evening and uh one of uh our guests on the line um knows a situation from a friend who has a friend that anyway go ahead buddy oh yeah well the story goes that uh he uh rented a storage unit and um been there, been a customer for years and years, eight or nine years. And um, um, he wrote a check one time that bounced. And the storage company ran right over and locked the storage shed up. And when he uh, came the same, very same day, said, hey, I got cash and I've got uh, or a money order, whichever you prefer. I'm at the post office. What will it be? They said, no, you have to wait and meet the owner and in five days from now. So the very next day, the guy brought a USPS money order and videotaped this manager uh, refusing to accept a uh, tender of payment, including a bounce check fee, which the contract says that's all that happens if a check bounces. Uh, it was an extra 30 bucks and the guy refused it, and so then Saturday, the guy came out there to uh, meet the owner, and he gave that owner this uh, USPS money order, and the owner said, hey, thanks, and now I'm still not going to unlock the door unless you sign this uh, piece of paper promising to move out in 10 days, and so the guy oh, signed no. it. He had witnesses with him and stuff, and and. He figured, yeah, you know, this is fully under duress and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's fully illegal and I got a witness that can prove it, you know, but he needed to get into that shed. So he signed it. And then the very next day he texted him and said, hey, uh, that was uh, against the law, illegal, under duress. And uh, he had no right to do it. And not only that, my autograph is uh, copyrighted and you owe $30,000 for that. He said, screw you, you know. And following about 10 days later, they threw a lock on it and it's been locked ever since. And they never sent the certified mail like the codes say that they have to do. And now it's been like a year. And all of a sudden uh, they texted him a, a notice of an upcoming auction claiming to have a lien on the property. Although they've never sent the certified mail pre-lien notice and then lien notice that they're required to. So he's like wondering what he could do about that. Like, uh, does he have to publish his own notice in the newspaper saying that the, their notice is bullshit or, or anything like that? How to get him to stop it besides probably running and do an injunction? Uh, he wow. called the uh, storage auction company and they said, no, we don't check and make sure that they have valid liens. We just have them sign something that certifies that they 
claim to have a lien on the property and we just go ahead and auction it for them. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a messy situation because a notice of lien itself isn't a lien. Um, and one thing that could be done is a something could be filed uh, called a notice of interest regarding the property, which in a way is kind of like putting your own lien on it. You know what I mean? Um, well, where? Yeah, no, notice of interest is, is a pretty interesting thing. Um, my question oh, is... Um, uh -huh. I, I, no, I would, if, well, there evidently isn't a case on record or anything right now. So, um, it, it would probably be sent to them, you know, directly, uh, registered mail, you know, return receipt, you know, to guarantee that they received it. Um, but it may be even open up a, uh, small claims case. I mean, what is it? 50 bucks open small claims case, open a small claims case. Um, my my question is so uh, is when they said you know there's ten days you have ten days to move out, I would have said personally I would have said I'm glad to get my shit out of here within the next ten days because you're crooked as hell and I don't want to be dealing with you anymore. So why just wasn't the stuff immediately moved out of there? Well, the guy did tell me if you want me to move out, you give me that money order back and I'll do it. He didn't have enough money to do it otherwise. He didn't have enough money to move his stuff out? Yeah, 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 yeah. Rent a truck, move it somewhere else, and, uh, you know, pay two, two different places for the same month or whatever. You know? Big hassle. Um, uh, what they what they did there was they, they committed extortion. You can't go to somebody yep. and say, "Well, you do this or else." That's that's not arbitration. They had a contract, a, a, a concurrent contract or a continual contract, month to month. And in that contract, when there's a discrepancy, you're supposed to go to immediately to arbitration. If he had an issue with accepting the uh, the uh, instrument. Then he was supposed to go to arbitration, not extort you. And he did send them certified mail once, and they refused to sign for it. So sending registered or any return cards hadn't worked for him. So he notified the attorney general that they are doing such things and the Secretary of State, because they're doing it in unregistered business names as well. And we're waiting to see what's going to happen next, and uh, hopefully the AG will lean on them a little bit. Oh, wow. If they're operating in an unregistered business name, I'd, oh, man, I'd jump all over it. Well, I'd take yeah. them to court, because they wouldn't even have standing in court to even freaking defend themselves. They're doing business in a fictitious name that hasn't been on file. There's no claim yeah, on file. It. it doesn't match their business license either. In yeah. fact, you know what would be fun if somebody had the money, whatever name that they're doing business in, um, yeah, I would, I would uh, go to the Secretary, Secretary of State and I would register it in my name. <laughs> then what would happen? You go to court and they, they suggest that they have personal jurisdiction. Guess what? That name is registered to you. 
false claim. Yep. Then the lawsuits could really start rolling. Because whatever profit whatever yeah, profits they're a... making using that name is now owed to somebody else. Yep. And that's a great, great advantage when you when you're talking extortion. Really? Well, it seems to me I'm the one with the that's got the name registered. Um, you'll have to move out. Thank you. <clears throat> I'm taking hold of all of your assets for my claim. You've made a false claim. You extorted me. You refused to honor an instrument. Um, all kinds of things. Yeah, you could really t turn the tables on the whole eviction notice. <laughs> yeah, that's what you yeah, have to do. Yeah, the along with them. The court that went along with him, they're just as culpable. He found a case in uh, Gonzalez versus Personal Storage in uh, somewhere in the 90s down in the Los Angeles area. Where Mrs. Gonzalez um, sued, went to a jury trial. The storage auction company never had a lien. And the jury awarded her $473,000. Yep. And... That was without intentional infliction of emotional distress. Whereas in this case, uh, a lot of it was intentional. Um, yeah, there's a lot of extra damages that could be added onto that. Yeah, it seems like it would be a lot more than small claims at $10,000 limit. Yeah. Well, it's all not much you want to spend on it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah and that's, that, that's, that's, that's another aspect you got to remember. It's not only a matter of how much you want to spend on it, it's how much they can afford to spend on it as well. Because while you file your documents, which you can do free of charge because you're the man with the claim, it's going to take them $1,500 to respond. Each document they produce is going to cost them around $1,500. So every time you enter a document and they have to respond, they're spending $1,500. Um, researching that, that particular company, they never hire lawyers. The owner goes in by himself without a lawyer. Great. He's better. Yeah, I think so. Are they a corporate entity or are they an LLC? Um, neither one. There are no corporate LPs. There's no limited partnerships at the Secretary of State, and there's no corporations at the Secretary of State, and there's nothing on the county for any of the names that they're using and the name on their business license. <coughs> I would say he, I would say I would say he doesn't have squat to stand on. So I don't see how any previous uh, situations where. You know, he hasn't hired an attorney. He's just done it himself. That really, evidently, nobody has raised that issue in court. And that, and that's one of the situations with court, too. I mean, we know it all falls under presumption. And uh, I think it was even Abraham Lincoln that talked about it. And the phrase was, if it's not raised, it's laid. You know, so if you don't bring up the problem, then the assumption is there is no problem. The owner has a living trust set up in the same name as his own name. That's about all I could find out for him. 
Yeah, that's that's probably asset protection is all that's really for. But yeah, no, I would uh, I would take it to court. I mean, just even for fun, take the small claims for fifty bucks. You know, um, whatever the max is that the state allows, whether it's five, seventy five hundred, ten thousand. You know, uh, just hit it for the max, and uh, I'd have fun with it. I'll let him know what you say. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah, the small claims will be easy. I think you'd really like to get a larger settlement. Yeah. Well, if you want a, if you want a larger settlement and you can afford to file, you know, in a higher court, then do that. And do that as well. I've heard of people bringing their constitution down there and asking the clerk, is this a constitutional court? And they say, sure, of course. And then they point to the constitution where it says the court shall be free, and they end up not having to pay filing fees just by pointing that out to the clerks. Yeah, yeah, give that so a swing. Be, wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, huh? give it a swing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Third time's a charm. That can't hurt. Yeah, you just got to be careful. They try to push uh, um, paper terrorism on people, too. Got to be sure that the documents you're filing are are uh, processed accordingly, and it's not, you know, don't go in every day filing a bunch of stuff, you know. Bunch of wacky stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they, they call that litigious litigant or something like that. You know, like over overburdening them with paperwork. As long as you don't do that, you're all right. But I mean, I'm going and I, you know, I I would just start out in questioning. I would start out, you know, how long have you been in business here? You know, what does your business entail? What's your business name? Are you licensed to do business in that name? Where's your fictitious name registration? It's a class two misdemeanor to uh, do business in an unregistered business name in California. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like I pointed out uh, in the group, a statute, I think it was out of Washington or Oregon, where in the Secretary of State office it listed, it said that, or it stated that um, anyone doing business in an unregistered name may not have standing in court. So right. I like that idea. Yeah, I have to look that up. I think that's a Supreme Court ruling too. Well and I'm sure that's in the Secretary of State for every state, really. I mean because that that's the main function of the Secretary of State. That's one of their main functions is uh, business registrations. And if it wasn't for business registrations, you know, they wouldn't have that much to do. <laughs> Not if they're not doing business as. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I see. Okay. I, I caught the last bit. Yeah. Need to be taught a lesson. So, Anyway, I, I want to follow up on some info I've uh, brought up a couple times on uh, our uh, group podcast. So, and something I've been looking at for a few months now and watching, 
but you know just really started talking about in the last month or so and that is um, possible food shortages and not just food shortages but everything related to it and um, I heard something on like news radio the other day first time I, I'd heard him bring it up and they didn't mention it by name, but they're kind of referring to it, referencing it, uh, which was the uh, Grand Solar Minimum, which started about a year and a half ago. And it's not really noticeable to most people, but people don't realize what a delicate environment we live in, in that just one or two degrees in temperature change prolonged can have a big influence on plants and it's not just just the plants but I mean there's a trickle-down effect also you know and you hear trickle down think of you know Ronald Reagan's trickle-down plan with taxes <laughs> you know because one <laughs> thing affects one thing affects another thing and so if you're looking at a situation where corn and wheat and grains soybeans etc are being affected you have to remember that's just not the food that you're getting from in the stores, the stuff on the shelves for you. But what else do those things affect? Well, animals like the pork that you buy, the pigs, the cows and stuff, they all rely on those things for food as well. And so a lot of farmers are starting to downsize their herds. They're calling their herds, and which means that less livestock, that means um, less product. That means when you're looking at supply and demand, the supply is going to be lower, and so that means prices will be going up as well. Um, where else do we see these things used? Corn is used uh, in ethanol for fuel. Uh, it's used to kind of cut the cost on fuel a little bit. Um, look at any gas pump. Every gas pump says right on there may contain 10%, up to 10% ethanol. You know, you don't want the ethanol. There's a separate hose you can pick up, and that gas is like 75 cents or a buck more per gallon. You know what I mean? And so if there's going to be less corn, corn produced, then guess what? Then that means the price of the ethanol is going to go up as well, and it might not be as cost-efficient to be using that uh, in fuel mixes either. And uh, I, I brought up uh, probably, probably a month ago, I brought up that I noticed at the store I go to, that the section that had, like, because I went to where you first see stuff at, like this. And that would be in breads. And I in the section where I normally get my bread out of, um, where, you know, you, like your whole wheat and your specialty bread, your grain breads, rice, things like that, used to be a long section, like 12 foot or, or more, uh, with like five shelves on it. Oh, gosh, that just reminded me of something else also. Anyway. Um, and I noticed about a month ago, it, it had shrunk down to being maybe eight feet long. And I was in the other day, and the other day, that section was now about five feet long. And not only was it only five feet long, but the bottom two shelves were full of the white bullshit breads and not any of those specialty breads either. So we're seeing an effect on this already in the stores, whether people realize it or not. <clears throat> the other thing I want to mention was talking about um, shelving in stores. I was in Walgreens the other day, 
and I went back up a little bit. If, if people remember, probably eight years or so ago at Walmart, Walmart, you could go in and it had high shelves, tons of product. And, and then here several years ago, all of a sudden, Walmart started looking like a Target. Uh, there wasn't as much product in there. The shelves were a little lower. Um, and stuff was spaced out differently. And I remember when they first did that, I was like, oh, my God, this looks like a Target store. What's going on here? You know, the, the reduced product and you think of not just one store doing that but when they're doing that with hundreds or thousands of stores that's a ton of money they're saving by not supplying product all right well anyway i was in walgreens the other day and i i noticed a year or so ago that walgreens now and then would have like cardboard cutouts replacing a section of shelving uh it kind of looked like half a box stuck in that spot and it would have like an advertisement for the store or whatever on it. And the other day when I was in there, I noticed one aisle that had four or five, maybe six of those cardboard sections in it. And I'm like, wow. You know, because what the problem is, is that they're not carrying as much product. And so they're filling the space with something to kind of keep people from really recognizing that. And... I had a few minutes to spare the other day, so I just walked through this store. And I counted 160 feet of shelf space that was empty. Now, that was 160 feet of sections. Now, if you stop and think that each section might have five shelves on it, and then multiply it five times 160... Here I come up with, what, 800 feet. 800 feet of shelf space is ginormous. Ginormous. So there's really something everybody's praising, how great the economy's doing and this and that. Um, I think there's kind of a mask or a Band-Aid or something like that blinding people to what's really going on. And I think this is just something people need to keep in the back of their minds and keep their eye out when they go in the stores. Look at these things. Look at different stuff like this. And stop and wonder to yourself, what's really happening here? What's really the purpose behind it? And like I said with this grand solar minimum, um, right now I'm going to be talking to a friend of mine that does investments and running this by him because I think if anybody's going to invest in anything and I, I hate being somebody that is a speculator because I think speculation has really uh, not been a positive thing for commerce but in doing some speculating as far as what can in the future go on with prices for different things and looking at the grand solar minimum and listening to what the farmers are saying. Not listen to what the reports um, are being given out by the government. Listen to what the farmers are talking about. And they're saying, you know, like you said, they used to get like four cuttings a year. They're lucky to get their second cutting this year. One, because it was a late spring, it was a wet spring, shit was muddy. And then the freeze came early this year as well. So they're lucky to even get a second cutting off. So that means that there could be as much as a 50% reduction 
in gross product. Now, if you go and look at government reports and look at what they're saying as far as the harvest and product goes, they're showing that, oh, there's not going to be a difference. It's going to be the same. No, no change, nothing to worry about. I find that very interesting, very disconcerting. And you don't hear a lot of people talking about it. And so that's why I say I recommend to people, jump on YouTube and look up some of the farmers. Listen to what these farmers are talking about because they're scared of it. They are very, very scared. In fact, their wives are stocking up on canning their own foods and stocking up on all their canned food that they produce and growing their own gardens because they're foreseeing a time where it might even be hard to get a tomato out of the store. And if they do, the price is going to be high on it. Anyway, that's just my little tidbit on things to be paying attention to. What you got, Keith? Anything? Well, that's a that's an interesting subject because um, that's exactly what we look at when we see environmental changes. It's a natural process. And when we're living in a commercial society where we've been, been uh, become dependent upon the store shelves, it's going to uh, affect us there. And like you said, in many other aspects of life, the fuel, um, even your um, regular utilities, all of their expenses are going to go up, too, because they're going to be paying the same higher prices for the fuel and this and that to get services to you. Um, and that's just another excuse for them to uh, jack the prices up, of course. And this is why I specifically why I started my group, uh, my other group, uh, Man All Natural, to try to get people um, back to their roots in supplying stuff like this for themselves. There are things that are not offered on the store shelves that are plentiful. And we just need to get back to that. Uh, a lot of the farmers are uh, not harvesting because they're getting more money from the government than they would for the product because they say it's a total loss. So there's, I have fields all around my house, and uh, the man's doing that. He's not harvesting. He's, he's saying he lost all of it. When he didn't lose it, it's there. Yeah, that's been going on for about 20 years where they've been paying people to not produce. But yeah. so now yeah. so now you've gotten an, so now we've had we've built an environment where it's been you know where really there should be an incentive to produce and produce more the more the better. It, it, right. The more supply, prices will be lower, everybody will be eating better food, eating healthier and not so much of the pre-made box food. Um so instead, a different environment was created. Now, on top of it, with this grand solar minimum coming on, now it's even going to stifle that minimum production that was being done. So right. you know, I think this is uh, a serious storm and that's, that's, in the forecast. That's, with, that's also with the like, silage that they grow for the, for the animals only. They're not doing it. Yeah, exactly. That's why I said a lot of far a lot of farmers are calling their herds just because they don't have, you know, the ability to produce that silage for them, the food for them. Well, there's a there's a, a field right here about I mean, I can see right out my window, 10 feet, 20 feet from my house, 
this farmer, uh, he didn't even, I mean, it grew, it grew good. And he just left it there. Never harvested it. It's still there, just rotten away. I'd let my goats go out there and eat on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and there's, yeah. and there's stuff going on. I yeah, it's a shame that Jennifer, I wanted to. Can I can I have some what? input on that? Uh, the farming. Absolutely. Who's this? This is Jennifer Fox. Hey, Jennifer Fox. I, I love hey. seeing your comments and stuff. How are you doing? Well, thank you. <laughs> Somebody does. Um, so, I'm in upstate New York, and I moved up here from Houston, where I couldn't grow anything because the ground was too hard. It took me 15 years just to compost and get some good soil. And then, of course, there were the fire ants, so forget about it. So, I'm up here, able to grow a beautiful garden. Just, just because I compost, and so I grow stuff, it just grows like crazy. Uh, and sometimes I have to plant, uh, and sometimes not so much. Like this is my last summer was my second summer growing, and it was fantastic. I, I'm not a good weeder though, and so that's <coughs> that's a problem. But what I've noticed up here is that I'm surrounded by farms, which is fantastic, except that a lot of farmers are losing their land due to taxes because they can't pay the property taxes. These are farms that have been in the family for generations. They should not be even having to pay property taxes. This property belongs to them. It's their land. Um, I have been looking at the land patent uh, you know, because I want to help. I, I, I don't want them losing their land. They're selling their dairy farms. There is a huge thing up here. I wasn't even into cheese until I came up here. And, and now I just have to say no. But they, they have co-ops, farmers markets, and, and it's a wonderful environment. You can buy local. They push buy local up here big time. It's huge. And, and what they don't like is when the city folks come up here and they buy these farms and they don't do anything with them. The land lays vacant. And a lot of it has to do, I believe, with subsidies. You know, when the government subsidizes all these farms and then they have to take these crops and they have to be inspected and they have to be okayed by government who is paying for it. And then they half their crops don't even get sold. And so they lose money on that. And then you've got the, the land that, that um, you know, they have to sow these particular seeds that are GMO'd because their farms are subsidized. Um, the smaller farmers don't have, have to do that, uh, of course, because they're not, they're not sending crops all over the country and having them have to be inspected. Um, and we do have a farm up the hill uh, who the husband who does soil remediation. And so they've done that to their farm is remediated all of the soil. And I was told that, you know, when I moved it here, don't pick the burdock and eat it because you don't know what, what they put on it. And it's not like we've got 
you know, crop dusters per se, um, but they have done soil samples and they do know that a lot of it is tainted. Um, a lot, another thing I've noticed is, you know, when they do sell their farms, hemp has been okayed up here. You have, it's regulated. You have to get permission to farm on your own land, which, I mean, if that's not the most ridiculous thing, you have to have permission to, to plant a plant on your land. And, but then again, it's subsidized and you have to have investors. And if you don't have those investors, you don't, you just can't, you can't make it. So, but they're still growing hemp. We've got quite a few hemp farmers up here, which is good, but that, that means that other crops are not being grown. And this, there's a lot of fertile land up here. Uh, and then uh, uh, my neighbor tells me he grew up here. He grew up in this house. And he told me all the crops. When I'm out there gardening, he tells me all the crops that they grew. And, and so I'm trying to redo that. I want my whole yard, it's a quarter acre, to be a garden. And we've got community gardens. And the church down the street has the, because all the people are old um, that go to that church, so they can't keep up the, the garden. So they have the Boy Scouts do it. Uh, but it's a community. And, and I think a lot of it is getting back to that. Um, I, I think, you know, government is too big and, try, and too controlling and overseeing. And they make all, in all these communities, they are incorporated. But I think if, if we make it more community-based, where the people are the ones who run it, which is the way it's supposed to be, it's a community. Then I uh, think Jennifer. That, um, yeah. Uh, oh, and you, you brought that up earlier, and I want to address that to you, talking about government being too big. Um, and you were talking earlier about regulations and things like that, making it hard on the farmers. This is one of the things that um, the students of today's education system don't realize. And I've had many conversations with people about this, and they can't see the forest for the trees. And that is talking about the economic system and those regulations that are put on it. And what the difference is with this is, you know, we hear today, you, you watch the news or anything, and you'll hear it's capitalism versus socialism. Socialism is bad. It's capitalism. Capitalism is the way to go. That's what we need to spread. People, what people don't realize is that capitalism is socialism. People think that capitalism and a free market system are the same thing. They are not the same thing. They're very different. Um, with a free market system, people are allowed to produce freely, and the market is self-regulating. Supply and demand, it's self-regulating. The difference with, with capitalism is capitalism is when the government sticks its nose into that market system and starts putting in regulations. When you start seeing regulations and stuff like that, it's no longer a free market. It is now capitalism. And to me, capitalism and socialism are synonymous with each other. 
And people don't realize that really what they are growing up under in America is a soft, soft form of socialism. Yeah, we need to get back. Yeah, we need to get back to a free market system. Can I uh, interject? Right, a fair market. Well, my recollection when I was younger, I went through the cheese line. You remember the cheese line? You walked in, you got cheese and bread, flour, whatnot. Hey, I used to love that bake. bake remember that bacon flavored cheese? Yep. <laughs> and and one of the biggest things about that time in my life is I remember distinctly. I I grew up in the farmer farming belt, Iowa, and mm-hmm. it was in the mid seventies when they instituted what was known as the PIC program, which you spoke of earlier. It's changed over the years, decades, and whatnot. But the PIC program was specifically um, getting farmers to not grow certain plots for, you know, however many seasons. But they had to do it in a certain way. They had to rotate crops or this or that. And that that right there um, started the institutionalization of farming in the in the corporate sense. It got rid of the um, the uh, family farm because it put them in a regulatory system where they were now um, subject to all kinds of costs and expenses that weren't there before, despite the, quote, benefit that the government was offering them. That benefit led them right into foreclosure. And that's why we have the capitalist uh, farming market today. And that's exactly the problem. If we, what's that? You know what? You mentioned the bullseye. You just mentioned what's been in the bullseye this whole time, and that is that word family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, and that's where I'm going is because in this community that I just moved out of, that I've spent most of my life in, there's a Burmese community, and they don't subject themselves to the U.S. welfare system. They never subjected themselves to a welfare system in Burmese, so when they immigrated here, They kept up with their customs, which was family, community, gardening. And so they have an entire block that they use. They've got this this apartment building that most of them have congregated to, and they've gotten together, and they do their own community gardening on this entire block. And then their apartment building is on another block, and each one of them in front of their apartments is doing just what Jennifer was suggesting her whole yard being a garden. That's what they do. Their whole yard is a garden. And then they've got the additional community garden across the way for everybody. And this is a perfect example, prime example of the way we should be leading our lives. And if you check out a guy, I believe his name is Rob Green on YouTube, and he he will provide all kinds of gardening tips, as well as a link to a guy that that has been doing the perennial garden for decades and he's got it down pat and if you want any information on doing your own home gardening that's where i suggest you start rob green on youtube and he will give you information leading to one of his perennial guys that's been doing this for decades you know keith one of the things i want to bring up and it just made me think of it is you know you brought up rob green on youtube and I hear so many people 
talk about, oh, you know, people are getting all their information from YouTube. This is bullshit. Da, 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 da. There's so much crap there. <laughs> well, you know what? There, There is a lot of crap there. But you know what? There's also a lot of very well-published authors who do lectures and stuff that you can watch on YouTube. Now, yep. is their information that they wrote in a book more valid than what you hear in their lecture? No, I don't think so. It's no. just easier to listen to because if you're reading their book, that means you're laying in bed, you're sitting on your couch, nothing else is going on, you're not doing anything else. Whereas if you listen to one of their lectures or listen to one of their YouTubes, guess what? You can be in the car on the way to your employment or traveling. Yep. Uh, you can be doing other things in your home, cleaning or whatever, while you're listening to it. So I think there's a huge value to YouTube. So those people that discount YouTube, um, shame on you. Anyway. Yeah, don't discount YouTube because I do YouTube too. <laughs> I want to go to the whole house using YouTube. I... <laughs> yeah, best education I ever had. Well, you know, I was going to say, and that's why also, I mean, I advertised my YouTube channel in Tactical Sovereignty the other day. And I don't have a lot of original content there. And the reason really why is because there really isn't much more to say than has already been said. And there's some brilliant researchers that have put the information out there. And so I've gone and thrown that information into playlists that are subject related to that information. And so to me, there's no reason to, you know, reinvent the wheel when so many people have done a great job covering so much info. Yeah, there's nothing new under the sun. No, there's not. If only we would learn from history, we wouldn't be repeating that right now. When you were talking about capitalism, I was thinking like, to me, it is it's more of a corporatism because it is corporate owned and it's and run. And I don't even know if, if we've seen actual capitalism. I don't know. Um, I haven't been awake long enough to, to realize if we've seen it. So but I, I know corporatism. I see that. It's pretty blatant. Oh yeah, um, people to uh, realize is that, and again, I understand coming from my position, I'm a little bit different. I don't have anybody that depends on me. I don't have a family that I need to go out and work for and bring home money to pay the bills. I live with other people that I've made a barter and trade with. I quit the commercial system. And that's what we've got to get to realize is that we can quit this commercial system. We don't have to subject ourselves to capitalism. We can be the master. But in order to do that, like myself, I had to step out, out of it so I could do my research so that when I get ready to go back into it, I know what these instruments are all about and how to use them against the corporate scheme. And that's very important. Well, you know, Keith, and I think a lot of people, and I'm, I'm very much in the same situation as you, although, I mean, I have to make sure uh, 
myself that I've got my own roof over in my head, but a lot of people would say, well, there's so many people that aren't in that situation. They've got, you know, two, three, four kids at home they got to take care of, maybe a loved one that lives with them, things like that, and they've got a lot of burden. So not everybody can do that. Uh, to me, I think it's not just a matter of being able to, oh, you can live that way and do that. And some people say, well, we all can't. To me, I think what's most important is that if you are in that world, if you are having to participate in that system, is that you define your position in that system. Because if you don't Correct. define your position in that system, everything you do is done under presumption. And the presumption is you're no different than the rest of the chattel. So unless you put on the record who and what you are and what you're doing and why you're doing it, then how is anybody going to know any different? Yeah, and that's and that's uh, and that's important in regard to um, and and you hear me speak about communication all the time, and that is uh, your actions speak louder than words. And so when we can finally come together like these Burmese people did and institute our word what we're doing and why we're doing it um and and do so concisely within the parameters of law then we can do exactly what our our uh, creator has told us to do even within society we just have to be able to know where we stand and stand oh and to me the biggest thing is you know that little phrase that we don't hear much but we carry around in our pocket called e purpose unum out of many one well that means you know and i think about this way if you're sitting in front of a judge and the judge is saying you this or you that and they're saying you they're thinking of the one and the one is the many you are no different you are you are everybody you are just another member of this whole e personum society and they see you that way and myself i don't want to be seen that way uh i look around really deeply into the community i mean what you see on the surface is one thing if what you know is happening behind the scenes is totally different and the judges they know what's going on behind the scenes and no thank you i don't want to be associated with that All right yeah, definitely. I don't need them. Um, something else. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, there's something else I, I want to bring up, too. And I don't watch TV, so I don't know how much it's in the headlines. Um, and I haven't really heard anything about it on talk radio, but I know the info's out there because I've heard a few people in public discussing it. And uh, that is the situation going on in Wuhan, China, right now. And it's not Ooh, just going yeah. on. It's not just going on there. Um, I did hear on the radio today there has been uh, one confirmed death in the USA uh, from this illness, and. I hear people, um, mostly like in the break room at work, talk about it. And I see people post stuff going, oh, well, they, they've got a patent on it. Da, da, da. 
people don't realize, all right, the common cold is a coronavirus. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Every, everybody's gotten the coronavirus at one time or another, and they might get it once or twice a year. But there's different versions of it. This one is the NAVO, which basically means new. It's something that is stronger. And it's got AIDS in it. Yeah, it's well. I've heard that. I, I don't know the evidence on, but it, it's it's morphed, and this is a stronger version of the coronavirus, which is basically a respiratory virus. And what this virus actually does is, it's not the virus that kills you; it is your own defense, your own immune system that kills you. It causes your respiratory. Uh, functions to shut down and you basically just black out it kills your t-cells yes and then that's that's your immune so you die yep yep exactly and you know there's info out there Um, i would recommend checking out um Jennifer, Veterans for Truth. Uh, check out Florida Maquis. Um, those are a couple of places to look. There's, uh, a, there's doctor also... Paul, a doctor, Paul Contrell, can explain what the virus actually is. It's like three different things in one that they've made it like a super bug. Yep. I recommend listening to doctors and listening to ex-military people on a variety of topics. <clears throat> That's where you're gonna get your best info. Uh, That's you right. have to realize that you have to realize that a lot of those people can't put out the entire info, but they will leak some truth to you. And right. you have to keep that in mind while you listen to them. Mm-hmm. But. This is a serious situation. It, it's much more serious than people realize. <clears throat> um, you hear about um, uh, testing people. They, they are checking people's like temperature before they let them into a country and stuff. Well, that's okay. I can understand why they check the temperature because the symptoms that come on, the first symptom isn't like a cough and sneezing. The first symptom is your temperature going up. Here's the problem. The problem is, is that you can have that illness. I'm not going to mention the V word or D word or anything like that. I'll just say illness. You can have that illness and also be transmitting that illness for at least 14 days before any of those symptoms are activated or demonstrated in your body. Okay, so... 12 days, 13 days at least, if not more, after you've contracted it, you can be tested and you will be tested negative. It will show negative response for it. You got a clean bill of health, you move on. Uh, There was a doctor in South Dakota a year ago uh, that contracted Ebola. Well, he had been working in another country with people with Ebola months earlier and he came back he tested negative he didn't have it let him on his way and all of a sudden like six months later he's got ebola how did it happen it was living in areas of the body that don't have contact with the blood it was actually living in his eye 
there's areas of your body like that. Your eye, if you're a male, your testes, different places where it can lay dormant at. And that's where they found it at. So you can be carrying these things and transmitting them. And they said that, um, the CDC said that people could be transmitting it to as many as 50, 60 people minimum before they're even tested positive for it. So how many people could they have? They could have given it to 50, 60 people. Those 50, 60 people could have given it to 50 or 60 people. Yeah, and each I heard one some, of them. Yeah, each one. And I heard somebody the other day, they said, oh, well, there's X amount of people that die in car accidents every day. Yeah, okay, that's all well and good. But here's the situation. With this illness, um, it is compounding by 20% every day. Well, I'm sorry, the people that die in car accidents doesn't compound by 20% each day. Uh you want to know what compound is? Look up compounded interest. <laughs> Man? Back? Yeah, what's up? Hi, uh, this is uh, Josh from California. I was going to say about that coronavirus, it was interesting that all in the news, all you were hearing about the Iran general or something like that that was killed. Uh -huh. and then right after that, that's when this came out. Do you think there's a connection there? Well, the, the, the Colby Smith death took place at the same time as well. There are no coincidences in this world. No, absolutely not. Uh, you know, they, they want to suppress headlines by putting out different headlines. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it's interesting that we haven't heard anything really. Well, I haven't really watched the news either, so. But I haven't heard anything about what's going on in Iran. I'm sorry? But the news won't tell you much of anything. Well, they tell you um, what you need to focus on so you're not really looking at, you know, what really is going on. I guess you could put yeah. it that way. Yeah, the mainstream media is nothing but a diversion tactic. So, I mean, exactly. I haven't watched I haven't watched TV in probably five years, and that's why. But it's funny that um, they all have all this news about you know the coronavirus, about all this you know the deaths and stuff. You know, it's interesting. That's all. I don't know we if they do or not. I haven't watched it. They're all minimizing it as much My as possible. My honest opinion is it's just their deck. Well, it's... 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 Uh, it'll wipe everybody out. It ain't... It, you need to be scared because it will damn sure kill everybody. Well, from the sounds no, of what it, they it looks said. like we're all going to starve to death before yeah, we could get that coronavirus. <laughs> I mean, they're dropping dead like flies over there in China, in that place. And the ones that cough, if they don't have a mask on or something, they're walking down the road. The guys in the white, all dressed up in the white protective gear, drag them away. And it's funny that it's an uh, outbreak out in China, and that's where all the manufacturing is going on as well. 
Yeah, they need to stop everything from even coming over here because they don't have the Bible right on it. I mean, uh, that's it's what's just sold up in Walmart. Well, yeah. it, it's just like um, it, it's like the Simpsons cartoon where the guy sneezed into a box in China and it gets mailed over and Homer Simpson opens it up and he catches something. That's why I recommend to anybody, you don't order anything from China and be careful what you're buying in the stores. And when you leave the stores, when you leave the stores, I strongly recommend, I've never been a proponent of using hand sanitizer because not all germs are bad and it's good to get some germs because it helps you build your system. But in this situation, I totally recommend right now, uh, people, and what I yeah, use no. is, I, I, I use Perel, Perel hand sanitizer. Because here about two weeks ago, uh, the heads of Perel uh, got a notice from the CDC that CDC wanted to have a meeting with them. And I think what they wanted is they wanted Perel to take their products off the shelf. And they wouldn't do it. And in fact, I went to the store afterwards and noticed that it was on sale. Buy one, get one free. And I'm like, cool. I grabbed two of them. One for home, one for the car. So whenever I go into work, leave work, go into a store, leave the store, I put a squirt on my hands and on my face. Um, I, I think preventative medicine is always the best idea for any cure or remedy peroxide is good used to clean things with well I, and I, I, I drink i drink food grade hydrogen peroxide as well i do too well, another helps. another thing people need to be aware of is that uh like you mentioned you use perel and that's a it's a good sanitizer and stuff but we also need to be aware of all the uh, perfumes and colognes and makeup and um, soaps and shampoos and stuff we use. That plugs your pores. Your pores are a breathing system. It's just an outer lung for your body. The difference is that you can, uh, if, if your body yeah, is processing yeah, the toxins yeah. and everything right, pushing everything out through your pores and you keep them clean, your pores are two ways. And they can absorb the other chemicals that you need. Your body needs to absorb, such as hydrogen. As, yeah, as the human body is constructed, it's not necessary to drink water. What it's necessary is to get the hydrogen from the water. Absolutely, absolutely. And what you were referring to there also is known as toiletries, and. This is a heads up people need to pay attention to as well, is that several years ago, this man that everybody on mainstream media is toting as evil because he's from Russia, Mr. Vladimir Putin, yeah. uh, Putin outlawed any import of American toiletries. And well, in his words... In his words, he said, they're poison. And yep. it's true. If you look at any of them, the, the perfumes, the clones, the moisturizers and stuff, look at the ingredients. I mean, it's like reading the ingredients yeah. on a box of kids' cereal. I mean, come on. Yeah. I explained to a little seven-year-old one time who was hooked on chicken McNuggets. 
I explained to them the process of sweeping everything up off the floor, bleaching it down so they can keep it, so they can clean it, and then turn around. By that time, it's all white, so they use the gelatin glue to glue it all together. It doesn't matter what kind of meat it is. They just glue it all together then, and, and put a dye in it to make it look like chicken meat and then fritter it up and there you go. Yeah. While I'm sitting there eating a fresh, nice piece of white chicken breast whole. And he says, no thanks, I'll keep my chicken nuggets. Fresh chicken, yeah. like you just killed it or what? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and what you're getting into there is uh, what they call consensus reality. And that is that the public has been so trained into thinking one way that even when the truth is explained to them, it doesn't register. They no, they, they yeah. like that ridiculous. Uh, I read yeah, an article. Yeah, I read an article a while ago. Uh, talking about the farmers that were raising Idaho potatoes for McDonald's french fries. And these farmers didn't even wear their boots from the field in the house. They took their boots off outside because of the amount of chemicals that were used in the fields. Yeah. Yeah, when uh, when I was younger, we, we did uh, detasseling. And as the years gone by, like I said, I grew up in the farming belt, so... I, I grew up detasseling as a miner, you know, helping family and stuff that had contracts. And at that time, it was go out and detassel. By the time I was an adult, they had changed things around, and you had to start wearing protective gear. And then by the time, the last time I did it, you had to wear entire body protection. That's scary. Yeah, that's very scary. And I, I'll tell you what, from personal experience, I'll tell you something that happened to me two weeks ago. Um, because I remember growing up when I was younger, one of the things that I loved just as a treat was a large French fry from McDonald's and a chocolate shake, you know? Yeah. And for some reason, and I don't eat fast food. I haven't, I, I never go to fast food. Um, something about I, the McDonald's fries, though. Well, yeah, the McDonald's french fries have always been notoriously good. Uh, but the last time I ate anything from McDonald's was probably about five years ago. I had a craving for a Big Mac for some reason. And I ordered a Big Mac, and I remember I remember when I got it, I looked at it, I'm like, God, this isn't the Big Mac I remember as a kid. I mean, this has got like a burger that's the size of a silver dollar in it. You know what I mean? That This is a, yeah. this is a wimpy, wimpy burger. This isn't a Big Mac. But anyway, I ate it. <laughs> And I'll tell you what, afterwards, I felt like my intestines were being ripped out of me. I really had yeah, sympathy. I, I had sympathy for our female friends when they go through their moon cycle. Because I was like, oh, I gosh, ate one, I this? literally threw up. Yeah. Well, anyway, here a couple of weeks ago, I had a craving for, you know, uh, McDonald's french fries. And I was drinking a chocolate iced coffee on the way down the road anyway, so I I didn't bother getting the shake. I just wanted the fries. And I got the fries. And I'll tell you what, about an hour later, and it lasted for almost three hours, I had this feeling of, I don't know how to explain it other than hateful anxiety. Wow. 
everything around me pissed me off and irritated me. And I was like, you've got to be kidding. Because I, I never have that feeling. That That's not a common wow. feeling for me at all. Very rare. And I remember thinking about that the next day. I was like, well, you know what? That happened right you, after I ate those McDonald's french fries. It's like, I wonder Have you tried what, it again to see if it happened again? No, because it was, it was such a miserable emotional feeling. I, yeah, it's not something I, I want to uh, try and duplicate. Right, but at least you'd know that that was exactly where it came from. Well, to me, since that is not a normal feeling ever for me, uh-huh. and that was something unusual that I had done just prior to having that feeling, I was like, you know, for my mind, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll put the parallel there. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Um I used to drink Mountain Dew. And I think I started drinking Mountain Dew when I was probably about 10, 11 years old. I drank it all my life. Until here, about a year, year and a half ago, I finally did some research and I realized that they had this uh, uh, brominated vegetable oil. Now, since then, they've taken it out, but I'm not going to go back to drinking it again. But this brominated vegetable oil was the cause of the, the lesions and stuff that I had on my skin. I've got pockets wow. up and down my arm, legs, around my throat from lesions wow. that would just pop up and just be a little, like a little pimple or something is what it started out as. But sooner or later, it opened up into a lesion and it takes a couple like months that. to heal. way that Morgellons thing starts out feels like just a bug bite and then... You start getting those, they start getting those sores all over them, feeling like, yep. you know, it, that's another one Come of their. find out, brominated vegetable oil is the specific cause of that. Hmm. But well, you I'll tell you what, you're talking about drinking Mountain Dew. When I was a kid, I loved Mountain Dew as well. And I remember back when it was in the glass bottles. Oh, that was the best. And mm-hmm. uh, I, w- I would build up a bunch of glass bottles in the back of my car, actually. <clears throat> and there was a gentleman that lived in town that I wish I had had a chance to talk to him. Because from what I understood, he used to have been a college professor. And he ended up just going totally off-grid. Um, the town didn't care. He lived in a little trailer or a tent or something and one of the wooded areas in town, and they, nobody paid attention to him. And they called him Horsehair, uh, just because he had, you know, long beard, didn't shave, long hair, da-da-da. And he would walk around picking up bottles, because in Michigan, they're 10 cents a piece. So uh, once a week or so, whenever I saw him pushing his shopping cart down the street, uh, I would pull up next to him, and I'd say, hey, you want to clean my car? You can have all the bottles inside. And he would gladly do it. Um, uh-huh. Knowing what I know now, I think he was on to stuff a long time ago before most of us were. Would love to have had a chat with him. But mm-hmm. I, I drank a ton of Mountain Dew, and by the time I was 17 years old, the doctors diagnosed me with uh, 
borderline diabetes. And I was like, yeah, did, maybe did I need to quit that, drinking so much. Did he connect that with the Mountain Dew? They didn't even ask. They didn't even yeah. ask. They, they don't care. But I did. <laughs> I did. Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, I, I think maybe I should quit drinking Mountain Dew. Because it's nothing but sugar. And actually, Mountain Dew was started by the company that um, does Orange Crush. And I'm trying to remember the name of the drink prior to Mountain Dew, where it got its name from. But, it, it, oh, God, what was it called? It was called Something in Me, Seltzer in Me, something like that. But anyway, it was originally made as a mix for alcohol to mix your vodka with or whatever. Mm. A citrus, citrus drink to mix your alcohol with, yeah. But anyway, that doesn't mean much, but... I, I found that interesting. Uh, Keith, were you able to... Oh, I don't know. Did you go back and listen to last week's call with Walter Burian? Uh, he contacted me a couple days ago. And said he was trying to listen to it, and of course he didn't. He wasn't using Chrome or whatever, so it kept quitting on him. And so he downloaded it because I think he wanted to store it and put it on his site or something like that. But um, yeah, this guy is such a wealth of information. Yeah, I have I haven't done that yet, but as soon as I get my new laptop, I'll go ahead and listen to it on here. But I don't know, don't know what I can do with it on the phone yet. I'll try, but. As soon as I get my new laptop, I'll do that. Yeah, if people really knew the economic games that are being played, I mean, and this yeah. claim of, you know, the U.S. bankruptcy and stuff like that, it's all so bogus. Yeah, see, see, people people fail, fail to realize the, the reality of the story behind the uh, 1933. When the, when the system crashed and people ran the banks, what they do? They ran to the banks and demanded their money. Well, the banks couldn't survive that way. People put their foot down because they knew they had the power over the banks. Well, somehow when everything got reinstituted, everything got switched around and now the banks have power over the people and the people believe it. Yep. Yeah, the banks don't give loans. Exactly. They don't. They can't. They don't have anything to put up as collateral for, for exactly. uh, uh, to make an escrow agreement so that they can uh, provide the indemnification if they, if they do, do somebody wrong. They have to operate on somebody else's credit. And in order to do that, they have to do it through a deceitful manner, through uh, transferring powers of attorney. Which then they used to transfer all power or all rights and interests thereof of any property being transferred or distributed. All they deal in is securities. Yep. And the securities, I can prove, Indeed. at least in regards to the social security number, is a false right. record.
they'll tell you themselves. And just to, to help you figure that out, if it's a false record based on the Social Security number and you turn age of 18 and you decide you want to open a business, you can get an employer, employer identification number, um, which is based on the Social Security number. It's just a different um, style. Um, wouldn't that prove that also to be false? Now, if the tax, taxpayer identification number includes the Social Security number and an EIN, um, wouldn't that also prove that the tax identif taxpayer identification number is false? I mean, where does it start its reality if it's based in falseness? It can't. Well, here's the thing, Keith. So whole, Keith, so here's, here's, the thing, thing here's the thing that here's the thing that cracks me up with it is that when you're looking at loans and contracts, there's seven elements to a contract, and one of the main elements is consideration. And people, most people don't realize consideration doesn't mean what a lot of people think. It doesn't mean that, oh, you're being considerate or anything. No, it means that you have a dog in the hunt. And yep. since they are not actually supplying any real money out of their pocket, like if you um, require from them, which a lot of uh, companies that do like, you know, credit fixes and stuff like that, <clears throat> Uh, if they attack another, one of these companies, uh, they will uh, require a forensic audit. The forensic audit is prove to us that actually you have a dog in the hunt. You took money out of your bank account and supplied it to uh, John Doe for him to buy a house. They can't do that. Uh, number one, it's against the law for a bank to loan their money. They have to go to the Federal Reserve to get it. So that means there is no consideration even involved in the contract. Well, guess what? If there's no consideration in the contract, what does that make the contract? Zip Void. zero. Yeah. Yep. Void Ebenezer. And the only right way, there. The, the only way, and I explained this before, you've got uh, Corporation A that wants to make a transaction with Corporation B. That Corporation A is your credit card. Corporation B is Walmart. Now, we can go do that exchange, no problem. Problem in reality is that the exchange isn't a proper exchange because the books are alleged in a certain way that doesn't transfer the property or the rights. When we think about this in the proper terms of doing our banking appropriately, we're supposed to draw up the instrument by, say, going to Walmart's online site, tallying up the total of what we want, doing up the taxes, finding out the final amount, and we're supposed to draft an order to pay. We're supposed to then have an escrow agreement with the broker who works with a bank, an institute, a financial institution, and then he can take on liability as trustee as long as I indemnify him through that, that escrow agreement with collateral, saying here's the collateral for you to do this job as trustee because I'm going to give an honorable instrument. I'm assigning you as trustee with the duties to do the transaction with institution A so that they can draw the funds from Federal Reserve to deposit in institution B. Then institution B issues that instrument to the broker in check form for, or for uh, Corporation B. And that's the way it's supposed to work. 
is supposed to be a transfer on the ledgers on these all the way in, be, in between here. And you're supposed to do the draft of an order to pay. This broker over here is supposed to have this financial or this financial institution has rights to draw the instrument now through the chain of assignments to give to broker B to issue the transfer appropriately to corporation B. We're not supposed to be using these credit cards. We're not supposed to be using our Federal Reserve notes in these private transactions with public entities. If we're going to do that, we're supposed to use the public chain of command for the appropriate charges and discharges for the appropriate order to pay. Well, to me, the Federal Reserve. Yeah, to me, the Federal Reserve note was rolling. supposed to be an in-house script. And some people call it a military yeah. script, but I, I call it an in-house script that was supposed to be intergovernmental. And right. the people started using it. Own. Right. The people started using it. But what the government, what the people should have been doing was, um, hey, I've got a bushel of apples and you've got a quart of wood. You want to make an exchange? Right. You know what I mean? And actually, right. at the time, people don't realize, even today, even today, there is, I believe, over 30 different currencies being used in America, um, mostly in the Northeast, but private currencies in different counties that people have agreed upon. And this is one of the things that frustrates me about when people talk about money. They're like, oh, Federal Reserve notes aren't really money. Yeah, they are. If you look up the real definition of money, all money is is an agreed-upon medium of exchange. Well, guess what? If you take a Federal Reserve note to 7-Eleven and they give you a Slurpee and they accept it, okay, evidently it's an agreed-upon medium of exchange. And if Correct. you want to take your bushel apples to your neighbor to get a quarter wood, that's an agreed-upon medium of exchange. But that's really what people should have been doing is interacting with each other. Instead, right. what does everybody want to do? They want to turn to Big Brother, and they want to use the tools yep. that Big Brother provides. Well, guess what? Yep. If you want to use the tools that Big Brother provides and accept the benefits from it, like having a bank account that is interest-bearing, which means you're receiving a benefit, then guess what? That means you're also going to receive the liability. I mean, how many times do you see videos where people are trying to freaking um, talk about jurisdiction and things like that? And the judge says to them, do you have a bank account? And they're like, oh, yeah. And the judge is like, okay, that's all I need yep. to know. That's all I need yeah, to know. Yeah, because that bank because account that... is backed up by a social security number. All right. Well, it's not just that, but most bank accounts – I would say 99.9999% of bank accounts are all interest-bearing accounts, which means if you are receiving a benefit, which is interest, it might only be three or four pennies a month, but you're receiving a benefit in three or four cents. Those three or four cents put you in a position of liability. Yep, and that's why I closed my bank account and quit the commerce. I'm, uh, like I said here lately, I'm getting ready to re-enter. <clears throat> And I've come to realize we see when we when we go get, go to the uh, banks and we get a bank account, it's a bank account. It's not your account. 
It's their account. The bank account. And yeah. what you're doing there is you're assigning them the durable powers of a, the, the the powers of attorney to do the assignments they need to operate things the way they want. And that's underhanded and deceitful. Um, and also, um, based upon the Numidant report, proves to be a false record. Again, just like the EIN and the uh, TIN, if the Social Security number is a false record, then anything extending from that is a false record, including the United States passport, um, state uh, driver's license, state ID, um, any kind of employment application. Um, anything like that where you're depending on that social security number. Excuse me? Anywhere you sign your name, they can use it in other places. Well, until, until, well, until, you, until you correct that. And see, the, the thing that I'm finding out is that all these instruments we've been signing under the social security number and everything is a uh, authorized signature. And I've talked about this a lot with the checks. That line on the bottom is not a line. It's microprint, and it says authorized signature. Um, the problem is that we're agreeing to that when we should realize that that authorized signature is coming from an authority. Who's that authority? We're admitting that we have an authority over us. We need to quit with that and go to our private credential. Get rid of that false record and go to a private credential that we can prove as a factual Keith, record that it holds truth. Keith, yep. my question has always been about that line where it says authorized signature is... Okay, authorized signature. Who authorized it? Who's exactly. authorizing it? And that, it's, it's the IMF. It's, it's the original si assignment of a number to a Social Security account in order to establish two very important yeah. things. Two very important things. Military personnel and civilians. Civilians have Social Security numbers. Military personnel have to be registered for the draft. Who's that? That's all the males. If you look up collective uh, 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 service registration and look for your number, it'll ask you for your last name, social security number, date of birth, and it'll tell you what your your selective uh, service number is. That's attached to that social security account. How do we know that? Because they ask for the social security number. Again, if the social security number is false record, then isn't the selective service record also false record? Everything instituted by that public number is a false record. And this is why we have to um, understand or comprehend the uh, concept of the private credentials and keeping the record ourselves. We keep the record by establishing that escrow agreement with a third party that will hold the equal consideration in escrow during the transactions of securities exchanges, property and interest thereof, transfer rights, things like that. And the private difference. Correct. And anytime we Keith. use a public instrument, we've got to accept that uh, abuse and neglect because it's not it's not being used for our benefit. The, the government, like Brian said, is supposed to be using it for themselves. And the, the institution of it was shortly after 1933, 1934, when uh, Roosevelt instituted the New Deal. And that's when he put massive amounts of people to work upon the agreement of accepting the new Federal Reserve notes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and huh? he did that. When he did that, um, what do you say in that speech? He said, this is a day of consecration. People need to realize this is all a religious movement. People yep. don't 
people don't comprehend what the separation of church and state is. The separation of church and state is separating you from your spirituality. That's really what it is. Um, and there's something I stumbled on this week, Keith, that I wanted to run by you. And you and I have never <laughs> talked privately. We don't have phone calls privately or anything. This is the only time you and I talk. So, and I'm sure a lot of people probably think that since you're a host on these calls that you and I are no. in constant communication, we're not. We've never communicated with each other. This is the only time no, I, I talk to I had lived most everything I do anyway. But anyway, there's something I stumbled on this week that I wanted to run by you. And it was in an FBI report. And in this FBI report, it was talking about different frauds, okay? And it brought up something I had never heard of before. It was called a CPN, it, which means a credit profile number. I'm thinking CPN, credit profile number. All the stuff I've researched with banking, I can't believe I've never seen this. I mean, I've looked through CFR, CFR 31, the Secret Bankruptcy Act, all that stuff. And uh, so I went and I Googled what is a CPN. And everything that came up said it talked about all the people who have gone to jail for using CPNs, that it's a fraud, it's illegal, da-da-da. But I went back to the FBI report, and the FBI report, and I posted this at Tactical Sovereignty, the FBI report said, the CPN number is a number which is supposed to be free to use and that if other companies charge you to gain a CPN, it may be fraudulent, which to me means they may be trying to gain your information because when I looked into some of these companies providing it, some of them were out of freaking Nigeria. So we know what that's all about, okay? Yeah. And... Uh, then some of them said you may need to contact an attorney first in order to gain a CPN, um, a credit profile number. And then I, I mean, I dug, I dug for a few days. And then I finally found that there was two ways to get a CPN. And one was to have an attorney do it for you. And second was for you to, oh my God, what did it say? Privately contact the Social Security Administration because you could use a CPN in lieu of a Social Security number. That way you can protect what you're doing and protect your identity. And I'm thinking, uh -huh. hold on a second. This might be something that was really set up to be used in the private, like it said, Instead of really using the social security number, and uh, I, I think this is something really worth looking into. Oh, yeah, I'm going to check into it right now. <laughs> yeah, well, when I first, like I said, when I first checked into it, everything that popped up, I mean, one, two, three, ten, twenty, thirty things, all talked about people who went to jail using CPNs. But the FBI said that it was set up for people to get freely from the Social Security Administration. 
And then I finally found that it said that the two ways to get it was either have an attorney do it for you or that you are supposed to privately contact the Social Security Administration and get one. And it's set up the same way. It's a nine-digit number. It's amazing. Everything's in nines. Yeah, well, it's a nine-digit number, and then when you convert it by adding that zero or whatever, it makes it a QCIP number, a usable QCIP number. More than likely, yeah, you're correct. And I think that might be a missing link. Most Keith, definitely. I had a definitely. quick question. Um, you sure. said you were going to open up a bank account uh, shortly. Um, are you going to use your Social Security to do that? No, no. Um, what what I'm going to do is I, I've got a, uh, a PMA that I'm establishing. And the way we're supposed to do this, in my opinion, this is why I, I said I quit commerce and I'm getting ready to go back into it. I've been studying for a good solid four years, over 10,000 hours. And I've been associated with many people that have already got a lot of these things already set up. And like Brian said earlier, um, just missing a piece here or there. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to establish my own private member association, which I've already started. Um, I'm working on the bylaws and stuff now. And then when I get everything set up, instead of opening a bank account, like I said, that's a bank account. That's their record. That's an accounting of the events that have occurred. That's what a record is. It's what an account is. So when they say bank account, it means the bank's record. Now, they're not keeping the proper records. Only you can keep the true and proper record yourself by keeping track of your own finances. They're not going to do that. So in order to do that, you have to, you have to do this research and understand how they work. And in my opinion, what we're supposed to do is get rid of that number shed that number and that that numerical identification system which is a false record and I operate privately with private credentials by establishing our own escrow agreements which in fact are then known as a trust you're going to establish a third party as a beneficiary or a trustee or something to hold the property and then administrate that through a broker in order to uh, conduct transactions on the lawful private side. You're not going to have a bank account. You're going to have a contract. You're going to have a trust contract. You're going to have your own private member association. Under that private member association, you're doing business as the Keith Orland Little Estate Bank and Trust. Okay, You're establishing yourself as your own bank and trust company. And you're going to have as that trust company, you're going to transfer property or the right interest therein of that property to an escrow, somebody that's going to hold it in escrow and then commit to the transactions of me drawing my, my drafts of an order to pay. He's going to contract with a bank broker and establish that connection so that he can turn around and continue the transaction you know, in, their, in the proper way that they're supposed to do it. Beautiful. It's basically your after, after you do that, are you gonna purchase a, a a land with it or like get a couch with it or I'm gonna do everything I can with it. 
That's that's Beautiful, the whole purpose right? of doing this is to find out how it works, make sure I know how it works and how to apply it, and where to apply it, and when to apply it, all that stuff. But like I said, I don't know all the research and firm belief is yes, we can do that. Beautiful, because I'm in the process. Oh, sorry. Uh, I was going to say I'm I'm in the I'm in the process of shoring up all my uh, debts that are connected to that social, so like that I could uh, you know get rid of it. And I like what Brian said about the credit personal number. I'm going to definitely look into that. Yeah, credit profile number. <coughs> and then um, another thing you want to check out, um, and you can check with either Brian or I on Facebook um, afterwards if you need to. Um, at least I'm open to it, and he, he's usually a pretty good guy about it as well. But check out the Treasury Offset Program. Now, what I do is on a regular basis, I call these people up every three, four months. And I call them up and I ask, is there any debt, public or private, listed for my person? And they ask me for the social, and they come back, nope. So if you call them up, and they tell you there, there, there's no debt listed public or private. Whoever's claiming any kind of debt is making a false claim. And you could check out that check that with the Treasury because the Treasury is the one that holds the the uh, the record on the on the uh, Social Security number. Beautiful. Okay. Security numbers just a Social Security number is just a uh, transmitting utility for the birth certificate, which is a part of the public charitable trust of the United States. And it has to have an authority to deposit number. funds, and that has to first come from the state. The state has to deposit funds in any kind of Title 4D, and this is directly connected to the Social Security account, Title 4D. And in order for the federal government to match those funds, the state has to first deposit those funds. That first deposit is the certificate of live birth. The state deposited well, okay. in that general <laughs> fund for the United States. <clears throat> That's what the treasury back up. Yeah, yeah. It's the, the number of the birth certificate, not the social security number. That's secondary to the birth certificate number. Correct. Well, the the birth certificate the number bond, is the, for, the birth certificate number is for the legal so, entity, not for you. <laughs> right. There's no number really for you, as no, You're exactly. Dead. There can't the entire, there can't be a the number. Entire numerical there can't, system, <clears throat> the entire numerical uh, system, uh, the records that are thereupon developed are is a false record because exactly. it's fictitious. It's synonymous with fictitious. It's also synonymous with fraud. It is well, here's exactly. a situation. Here's a situation. There, this is where they get to where get you to wear the persona or the mask. Is that they've created an artificial entity and they're getting you to represent it, and people aren't realizing that. They convinced that. you um, that that's you. They convinced you that right. that's you. Right. But and here's one of the things too. I mean, and I got this to um, Ryan Bundy as well when he was in court, and he actually asked the judge because we hear you know a lot of people are in prison for different things or whatever, and you'll hear, oh, they owe a debt to society. That's not just a saying. That is something in legal words. It means something. 
And so I got this Ryan Bundy, and he actually asked the judge, do I owe a debt to society? Am I in debt to you? And the judge said no. Well, guess who was the only one that was released? Yep. I don't know where all that background noise is coming from. Sounds like a lot of shuffling know. around and stuff. Sorry, that was me trying to get nuts. <laughs> well, sorry about that. Anyway. Yeah, that's... Yeah, uh, there was... That's an important detail. I, I like to tell this story about when I w last walked out of jail. And they tried to tell me after the judge gave me discharge orders, they charged my person and then threw me in jail and then discharged it, okay? So when I got to the desk to gather up my belongings, Miguel tried to tell me I had to sign the release documents. Hell no. I said, no, thanks. I don't care to release myself. Oh, you don't want to leave today? said, no, I'm going to walk out of here, but I'm not going to lease myself again. They tried to tell me I had to sign the document. So I held my hands up, said, here, you make me, and then tell that judge why you violated his discharge order. That's I why I think it's important. A Absolutely. That's why I think it's important to send a letter of non-representative capacity. I don't know what you guys are doing with this legal entity that you created, but guess what? I'm not going to represent it. So I recommend yeah. that forthwith, heretofore, da da da, you find somebody else to represent it because it ain't going to be me. Yeah. Well, I was explaining yeah, yesterday when it comes to this personal and subject matter jurisdiction in regards you're to the. You're a man their, uh, on the land. You're a man on no, the land. You're not a No. Hold on. Stop right there. You're not a man on the land. You know what? The creator gave this are, world. This... You are a man. Can I finish? No, you're not. No, no, you're not. Let me finish. Say you're not. Let me finish. No, you are not a man on the land. Okay. This, our creator gave this realm to us. This was That's our right. dominion. Okay. And it's if you want to call, hold on. If you want to call yourself a man on the land, you're landlocking yourself. And you are no longer international. You're not in maritime law then. They don't have no jurisdiction over a man on the land. Man on the land, you're landlocking yourself. No, you it are international. This, this earth, no, this earth was given to you, okay? Water included. Yeah. yeah. Now you're a creator. That's exactly right. I'm a man of water, the land, air, I, and I, water. Yeah, I really, when I hear man on the land, that irks me because that landlocks you. You are no longer international. You no longer have the dominion that your creator gave you if you claim that. Yeah, yeah there's a much better way to state it is what we're saying. See, while you are a man on the land, while you are a man on the land, you're supposed to be a master of the water as well as a sorter of the skies. That's right. It's all your so God-given it's, it's, right. It's, it's hard to listen to when somebody says, I'm a man of the land. 
We need to state things like, better. Get out of context. Oh, Keith, um, well, we got off from it, but I, since you had brought up PMA, because I know a lot of people are going to ask about PMAs. Um, you want to go over with me for a minute on how you establish a PMA and I'm sure. how it's done? Um, first, first, we start out with the international uh, union labor laws. Every man's worthy of his hire. In order to be worthy of your hire, you have to determine what your hire is. You have to do that yourself. That means you have to do so singly, separate from all other associations, freedom of association. You have to establish your, yourself privately. You have to establish your membership. You have to establish the intent of the association. And like I said, doing so automatic. You you establish automatically. You establish automatically by operation of law a trust. This is done by proving the pure trust first. Genesis one verse twenty-five through Genesis two verse twenty-five. And like I said, I'm not a man of the land. I'm a man of law, the land, air, and water. I was given dominion of this land, air, and water freely, freely given, so I may freely give in the prosperity and abundance as so long as I steward myself in his house following his way, and I shall be blameless for it. That's the only true trust. And when you express the trust, it is recognized. Okay? This is what they talk about. You have to express the trust. So you express the right trust first. Then in expressing that trust, you express the further trust of enacting in the commercial and business world with other people, both public and private. You establish yourself through a personage by creating a, a business trust, private estate trust, Keith Orland Little. Uh, what is it? Keith Orland Little Bank or Keith Orland Little Estate Bank and Trust. That's a business name. It's a title. It's all caps. And you establish it yourself. You don't have to register it. Remember, you're a private membership association. You have a worthy of your hire. So you've already established your, your pure trust. Now you've established your commercial trust. Now you need to deal with the inner trust of gathering members. Pure and simple. You're just building trust upon trust upon trust. And if it starts with the pure trust of in the beginning was word and the word was with God and the word was God. And you have that moral aptitude to make sure that the word was with truth and the word was truth. Then you're set. Pure and simple. That's it's just pure operational law. You don't have to register or not just patent it. And a patent just is is just to lay open, to lay open publicly, to let the public view. So you just make an announcement in a local newspaper. When it's done running, you get the receipt. And when it's done, run, it's been 30 days, you now take that receipt, you make a statement, attach that receipt with the statement and a copy of the publication, enter it into the public land records as property. You have your own PMA right. patent that nobody can, but no, nobody ever will. And you operate under that exclusively.
That makes sense? I think uh, not uh, Oh, there you are. No, I'm still, I'm still here. You hear me? Yep. All right. Yeah, no, um, I muted everybody out because I didn't want any interruptions while you were describing that. Um, because I've looked into PMAs too and uh, looked into not just private membership association, but private associations and how things work. And a lot of this really clicked for me after reading writings from um, Carol Quigley. Because Carol Quigley talked about the New World Order. Because he was a New World Order man. And how they were going to be running things in the future. This is a long time ago. And he said it was all going to be run by rings within rings or circles within circles he talked about. And I was like, what the heck is he talking about? You know, that didn't make sense to me. But I stuck it in a file in the back of my mind. And then when I started learning about how government is working and different organizations are working, I was like, oh, my God, they're all private yeah, they're just associations. Trust within trust within trust. Well, they're not even trusts. They're private associations. There's right. trusts also. I'll tell you what, as far as trust go, I'll tell you what, um, and I've talked about this before, is that roads in your community are all held in a trust. Well, I was on a road today uh, in the northern part of Cape Coral, Florida, and it went from being called Burnt Store Road to, um, I don't know, was it Veterans Parkway or something? Anyway. When I was on Burt Store Road, that road was potholes and oh, that was I've I haven't seen a road that bad in Florida <coughs> in a long time. It was horrible. But the second that the new name of the road came along and I crossed the intersection, oh the road was beautiful. I was like, Oh wow. Evidently they know how to administrate one trust better than another. Yeah. It was obvious. Well see not just by name, but physically it was obvious. Any anything that says public is part of a public trust, and it's held in abeyance, in probate. It's all up for sale. Pay the taxes, right. and it's yours. Well, and to me, it's just like you see public park. And it, it, here a few months ago, I went down to. Uh, I was at a place. It was a public park, and I said it closes at 9 p.m. I said, wait a minute. Am I not the public? Evidently, I'm not, because I didn't decide that it closes at 9 p.m., so evidently it's held by somebody else. <laughs> yeah, see if the name is registered. If it's not registered, the name. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Close to the public at 9 o'clock. Private use, 10, 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. <laughs> but I, I want to go into my view of the PMA and the Private Membership Association. And because I, I don't know, it might be a little more simpler than yours is, Keith, I don't know. But um, I, one of the things that struck me was a year or two ago, a hearing, I think Paul Ryan was being interviewed by somebody on the steps of um, Congress. And this interviewer had said, well, are you guys going to go after Hillary? And he was supposed to be in charge of it, or I don't know if it was him or not, but 
he said, well, it would be against house rules. And I stopped and I thought, wait a minute, aren't you supposed to be following the Constitution? Instead, you're saying house rules. Well, what are house rules? Well, house rules are the private rules of their association. If you look up House of Representatives, look up Senate, they are all private associations, private membership Guns associations. Numbers. Right, and they have their own rules. That's very important. Yeah. And so yeah, I started also looking in. Uh, so I started also realized PMAs. That, yeah, PMAs, private member association. The Federal Reserve Board is a private membership association. And they blatantly told the world that they are untouchable because of that. Well, I'll it, tell you people. what. I'll tell you what. Your county clerks, your county clerk belongs to a private association. So does your county commissioners. It's a private association. In fact, their headquarters are in Washington, D.C. Look it up on Google. You can find it. I've posted it in the past. It, these are all private associations. And so when you hear people saying, oh, these people are acting outside of the Constitution. we got to make them operate constitutionally. No, they are operating constitutionally. Because what does the Constitution say? If you go to uh, First and Fourteenth Amendments, it talks about the right of association. Those were doors they left open for themselves in order to do extra constitutional things. And the Supreme yep. Court of the United States has agreed upon that and said that's perfectly legal. Right? Yep. And now, if you want to open your own PMA, to me, it's very simple. You are only just going to throw in the newspaper your intent. We are opening a PMA. And it's going to be called this. That's all you have to put in there. Okay. Now, within your PMA, you only need a few elements. How people can join, who your officers are, what the intent of your PMA is, how you kick people out of the PMA. That's basically it. Yeah, by, bylaws. And you're operating, and you're, you're right, and have your bylaws in there. Exactly. It's really that simple. And something I was thinking about the other day, I was looking at people talking about the right to travel and stuff. And I've often thought, well, what if you put in your bylaws of your PMA that you can only operate a motor vehicle while you were conducting an obligation of the PMA because that's contract and yep and they cannot interfere with contract in right in law no state can impede any obligation of a contract and so if you are operating in contract under your PMA and it's private guess what you know that that would be a stumbling block yep and I, I noticed I noticed that a couple times I, I used to do uh, deliveries for uh, um, Pizza Hut and uh, uh, Chinese uh, joint as well as local newspaper and stuff. And there were a couple times that they they pulled me over. But when they came up to check on me, they and found out that I was on the job. They didn't run a check or nothing. They just gave me my stuff back and said, well, slow it down, Mr. Little, get on your way. So they, you know, you know, some of them obviously know, you know, they, they're not supposed to interfere with commerce. 
There was a situation, and I brought it up before. There was a situation here in Florida. Uh, several years ago, Florida decided, they people voted, um, that there was not supposed to be a smoking section in restaurants. It was all supposed to be non-smoking. And I think the reason why is because when you drove down the road and looked at some of the big restaurants during the season, you would see a line of people waiting for a seat. The reason why they're waiting for a seat is because, you know, they wanted non-smoking, you know. Um, But anyway, so everybody voted for total non-smoking restaurants. And right after they did that, um, law enforcement came after places like the Veterans Lodge and the Moose Lodge. And they said, oh, hey, yeah, you have you can have smoking in here. And they put their hand up and they said, hold on a second. We are a private association. And law enforcement stepped away. They totally stepped away and said, oh, yeah, that's right. You can do whatever you want. Because people that go there are a part. They have agreed to be part of something. And that is what people don't realize today is that they're saying, all this shit's being done to me unlawfully, da, da, da. No, you have agreed to be a part of an association called the United States. Yeah. Whether you realize yeah, it or not, they, because every spring when you do your taxes, when you do your taxes, <laughs> there's a box at the bottom that says, under penalty of perjury, I verify I am a U.S. citizen. Even though there is no definition for U.S. citizen, everybody checks that box off. And so guess what? Now you're holding liability. Yep. Yeah, the two housemates I live with, they both have their PMA set up. Um, they travel diligently, private signs on their on their automobiles. Um, been established for a while now. They they don't mess around. They're they're doing what they're supposed to and, and it works. Proof on and for the And this does um this this doesn't mean that when you are in a 45 that oh I, I'm I'm operating under a PMA so I'm going to do 70 miles an hour and they can't yeah, touch you, me. You need, no. Yeah, you need to be reasonable, folks. You still need to use your head and be considerate of those around you because you know what a lot of okay, say <clears throat> a section of road may drop down to 35. There's a reason for it. It's because They've found that in that section of road that more incidents will happen at a higher rate of speed, so therefore they lower it. You know what? And sure, that speed limit might just be a suggestion, as some people want to say. But you know what? How is it going to hurt you to follow it? Come on. Just follow it for the safety of everybody around you. I mean... Are yeah. we not supposed to, you brought, uh, Keith, you brought up steward a little bit ago. Are we not be supposed to be stewards of each other? Absolutely we are. Exactly. Yeah, and, and, and it doesn't stop there either, folks. You know, when you establish your private membership association, you can, get fit, you can get rid of that federal address, the taxes, remove the property from the tax rolls. There's, there's no mailbox or house number on this house, this property, nowhere. The mailman doesn't stop by. They have a private mail address. 
and they they accept anything they wish to accept and they don't accept anything they don't want to accept their yay is their yay and their nay is their nay they don't have an authority from someone else that tells them what they got to say or not say what they got to do or can't do absolutely you know my my mom wanted to mail me something the other day and she said uh what address do i mail it to and i stopped and thought and i looked around i'm like well there's no mail, but I don't, there's no address here. <laughs> I said, I don't have an address. <laughs> so yeah. well, we had to figure out a workaround for that. But I mean, well, you do yeah, general, I, uh, general post and get it and, and make sure it's not general delivery. General delivery is when they go out and do it to a uh, exempt rural route. General post is when you go in and pick it up at the post. Yeah, that's an option. Um, myself, if you're going to do a PMA, and um, if you have declared, if you've taken possession of the name that the state's been holding in abeyance, um, and I haven't done this yet, but I, I know for a fact it can be done, and I just need to get off my butt and do it. You go down to your Hallmark store or whoever that has P.O. boxes in there, and you just set up a uh, P.O. box for the name that you're doing business in for your DBA, and you just have stuff right. sent to your DBA. And it's really that simple. It's a lot yeah. of people. I've seen a lot of YouTube's about it and stuff, and it. It, it looks like, oh, my God, like it's a circus and a bunch of hoops. No, it's it's really simple. Once you have the DBA done, you just do it. And you just, use the, you just show them the same paperwork that you show the bank when you set up your account under your DBA with a non-interest bearing account. Yeah, yeah and that's important, a non-interest simple bearing stuff. account. You know? Yeah, non-interest bearing account means no liability. Well, here's one of the things that people don't realize. I've heard a lot of people over time contacted me, for instance, and they're like, well, I'm afraid that the IRS is going to, you know, seize my account or put a stop on my account. Uh, I'm like, well, you should have had that taken care of already. And you do that by setting up a non-interest bearing account because non-interest bearing accounts do not get reported to the Treasury. They stay private, right. and they're untouchable. They're they're on the right. they're they're supposed to technically be done solely on the private side. They are on the private side because you are not what accepting a benefit. Everything right. is following biblical. These guys all follow biblical principles. What does the great deceiver, the great adversary, do? He's an imitator. So what is he doing? He's imitating scripture. He's following scripture. And that is what this whole system is set up under. The adversary has set up this system today. Okay? And so if you want to know how to counteract the great adversary, follow the biblical principles. Yep. The only way you're going to get back to truth. Absolutely. Well, the only way to get back to truth is live in truth. And you don't accept benefits. You don't accept benefits and you accept liability. Here's the thing with the CPN, with the uh, uh, credit profile number. <clears throat> they said, oh my gosh, well, with the CPN, you have to accept full liability for anything that you do with that number. 
Okay, what's the problem with that? Yeah. Are we not are we not supposed to hold all acceptance of anything we cause? Absolutely we are. Yeah. Yeah, we're supposed to take responsibility. That's what this whole system is set up under. And you know, anybody that does any real research into the system will find that it's all done under insurance. Insurance runs everything. Listen to last week's call with Walter Risk Burian. management. Well, Walter Burian will tell you, it's not the banks, it's not the big banks, it's insurance. Insurance is behind everything. Because yeah, everybody that's why they wants do the somebody, everybody wants somebody else to hold the liability and the guilt and the blame for what they cause, period. They don't want to accept responsibility. Guess what? You accept responsibility, don't accept the benefits. Guess what? The liability changes. It changes hands. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's one of the most interesting things I've found since I um, when I walked out of jail, refusing to sign. They haven't gotten any signatures from me since, so they don't have any instrumentalities out there floating around that they can um, try to cause any kind of nexus. It's been four years. Um, like I said, the DA put a protection order out on me and renews it every year. So there's a, a there's an agreement to no nexus. Um, there's a thing called no such record because they the last thing they have on the record is refuse to sign. And again, like I said, I've called the Treasury Offset Program and there is no debt listed public or private for that person. And so the court finds fees and penalties and everything that they're claiming as a debt. Wouldn't that be a false record as well? And they're publicizing it, so so that's that's a, that's slander. That's that's no longer Correct. liable. That's that's or, that or no now that's liable because they they've gone beyond the point of speaking it. They printed it, so now it's liable. Well, you know what? You didn't just refuse to sign. You refused to contract with them. Exactly. They they it says right on the paper, and this is why I say break down the words, people. I'll tell you right there. It said release. It just was it, it was just characterized wrong because they didn't have the little hyphen in there between RE and lease to show that it was actually a conjunctive word. But I'm not the smartest bear in the woods, but I'm pretty catchy. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Keith, before we go here, let me unmute the lines again if somebody has a question or something. And yeah, uh, yeah. that way go that could be addressed. Well, it's just like. Because that's really the that's really that's really the intent of these calls is for everybody to interact with each other and stuff like that. But I just wanted to get out that PMA info without a bunch of interruptions yep. in between. So yeah, exactly. everybody's line is unmuted again. Uh, if anybody wants to bring something up before we close out tonight's call, please feel free. May I? Me. Who is this? Oh, it's uh, Jose from California. I had a question about Gnosticism. Have you guys uh, done any research on Gnosticism? Uh, Keith, you want to take that first? Um, I try to stay out of the religious secular mm -hmm. stuff. I, 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 I stick to the word of the Bible and that's it. Um, now, I'll show you. I I prefer the King James 1611 version of the Bible, but um, 
this here is actually one of my favorite versions. It's uh, got four different uh, um, writings, four different versions. And it's the King James, the Revised Standard, Phillips Modern English, and the New English. And I prefer to stay out of the, the uh, like I said, the secular arguments. Because every time I'm just going to go to the words and, and that's it. They're all going to say the same when you get to the roots of them. All right. Um, myself, what's his brain? Um, uh, Narcissism uh, was really uh, power through knowledge. And is the way it's kind of been looked at. And I really respect a lot of the Gnostic writings. Um, as far as the Christian writings go, like the 1611 that Keith brought up, I'm not such a respecter of those things. Uh, I consider myself more of a Nazarene than a Christian. I, I think Christian was a title that was used negatively towards people. And in fact, none of the disciples ever called themselves Christian. The word Christian actually came from Ignatius, from the Catholic Church, uh, and it was a derogatory term, which meant idiot or somebody that was not sufficient. So, anyway, uh, what did you want to talk about regarding Gnosticism? Oh, well, um, the only reason I was asking is because I'm going to go to one of their temples on Friday just to check out what kind of lectures they have. I was doing a little bit of uh, research on it, and they were saying that they're one of the original Christians or something like that, that they wrote the Gospel of Thomas and, you know, other Gospels. Um, and well, one is, I'd say a Gnostic what? would never call themselves Christian. <laughs> right. Um, like Brian said, Gnostics go more along the lines of the knowledge. And that's basically where I was getting it. But I'm I'm talking because I don't want you guys getting construed just because I use it. I prefer to use this uh, 1611 version of the King James Bible. It's only because that's what they they tend to use in the courts and the in the commercial system in regards to their canons and stuff. Um, but prior to that, you, you're going to hear me talk about the ancient Sanskrit and Phoenicians and you know where these original stories of the Bibles come from. Um, and so there's going to be times where I'm going to discuss other versions of Bibles that you guys might not even recognize. But it's, it's again, I'm not going to those specific things. I'm trying to uh, make sure I re recognize the uniformity between what's being used today and what the actual intent of the word is. That's why I do a lot of etymo etymological studies. Yeah, Keith, that's why I use the uh, 1611 as the source of my authority in uh, my declaration of status. Right. And, it, and it's a good one to use. I mean, if you went to the uh, Orphe uh, Bible, which was predecessor to that, um, people, a lot of people wouldn't recognize it. So um, it's just yeah, the, I've the got, best version that really recognized. Yeah, I've got a whole article I wrote on the history of Scripture and where it originated from. Um, people can find that if you go to my WordPress site. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, any other yeah, questions I, or anything not... out there before we close?
So Jose, yeah, I think that I, sounded like a that, that sounded like a good idea. That's uh, let us know how that turns out, man. I think that Absolutely. would be really fun. I think that would be fun. I, I would love to go to one of those. The only thing I'm, I'm, hesit I'm hesitant about is that the temple's in Hollywood. It's in the Valley of the Beast, but I'll still check it out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah go, I, go to it. I'd much rather go. go to something like that than go to church because there you're going to get into a more, I think, esoterical discussion rather than a churchy or religious theological discussion. I'd much rather go to something like that than go to church because there you're going to get into a more, I think, esoterical Rather than a church yeah, yeah. Hey, it's got a speakerphone on. Anyway, uh, do you have anything else you want to bring up before we close yeah, up? Yeah, this is Ken in New York. Can you hear me? Oh, hey, Kevin. What's up? Yeah, I have a couple of questions. Uh, number one, you were saying before that the um, Walter Burian, that there was some kind of problem with the recording. I found the same thing. It cut off in the middle then it jumped to the end, then it cut out again. Um, is that going to be corrected, or we have to find some other way to listen to it? Uh, what you have to do is you have to open it up in a different browser. And the best browser to open it up in is Chrome. Um, otherwise, uh, you can download it, and then after downloading it, then go and listen to it. Um, but you know what? You can find... Um, information from Walter Burian all over YouTube and mm -hmm. it's all excellent info. It's all excellent information. Right yeah, now, he's gonna know. cover a whole lot whole lot more on YouTube than we got than than we got last week, I'm sure. I I also understand that he has his own program, but I'm not clear where it is. Is it on YouTube or uh, is it I mean is it on talk show or somewhere else? No. He used to have his own program. He used to do uh, a radio show like five days a week and okay. eventually he got to the point where he felt much like I do that he was doing nothing but just entertaining people and he was mm -hmm. just giving it out there and nobody was really paying attention or doing anything with it so he said you know what that I need to put my energy into making something really happen so yeah he no longer does a regular show okay uh my other uh, comment would be, and my other thoughts, um, I appreciate uh, both uh, Keith and you uh, talking about the uh, private membership association, which I don't know much about, and some of the other information you're giving. But I want to be clear on something, if I could. Um, there's a lot of people that are doing different things today and have associated a different meaning with the afterbirth and you know what we're really what what the number is associated with, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it can get kind of complicated. But when you were talking about the uh, QCIP numbers, and the QCIP number being a 10-digit uh, number, one more number than the uh, Social Security number, are, are you also talking about this in relation to the actual value that was placed on the birth certificate for that fictitious name, and that somehow being associated with what belongs to us? Or would you see that more as of a benefit? I wasn't really clear with what you were saying and the association of that and the use of the QCIP number. Okay. Um, um, the, 
the, the QSIP numbers is the uh, uh, Committee on the Uniform Securities Investment Program. And that's that's why we can how we can tell it's uh, tied with the Social Security Administration and the Securities Exchange Commission. It is, in fact, a security instrument. Um, like I said, it's on the state level, the certificate of live birth is issued to the United States in general deposit as a security for future transactions that the state is going to make in good faith for the federal government to get involved and turn around and match that funding. The problem is the record is false. We know this through the Newman report request form. It says right on it, it's, it's a false record. And everything attached to it is a false record. So this is why we have to get away from the public system and start operating in the banking industry ourselves and insuring ourselves through our own escrow agreements, creating surety bonds through our own collateral, the use of our own property, substantive value against any fictional reserve note that has zero intrinsic value. This is what tells us we're the bankers. We have property that we can use as collateral. This is why banks can't loan money is because they have no collateral to back it up to indemnify anybody. But are you only talking about, uh, if you could clarify this for me, are you only talking about property that we've already acquired in our lifetime, whether we acquired that through, you know, working or inheritance or um, everything. reserve? Everything, everything from the time you're born is a false record um, because of the financial instrument being, um, it, it's, an, it's what's called an extract um, of information and they extract abstract information and put it in formation of contract. And that's a, a contractual nexus that they've created without um, full disclosure explaining exactly all the details. And mom has done this through uh, uh, being under the inducement of, of labor, whether it be natural hormones and stuff or being medicated by the doctors and is not of sound mind and they take advantage of that. Um, the principal property that we're talking about in regards to that is that because it's a general deposit, a security instrument, we can authenticate it on both the state and federal level and get what's known as the full faith and credit. And it's basically just uh, the, the use of the transmitting utility in its proper <coughs> form as a, a security instrument now as to be able to indemnify anybody for transfer of your private property. But we have to do it through the correct conversions. So when you said before, if I understand this correctly, that you're uh, getting certain things or certain things should be paid for if you operate with a trustee and you operate properly and not directly pay with a quote-unquote credit card or with quote-unquote Federal Reserve notes. Um, well, you know, are, are, you, uh, are you using the assets of this other entity in paying for that? I mean, we have people today that are claiming that they've got their status standing and capacity correct, and I'm not sure that that's always the case and that they are getting their bills paid because they know how 
to get the account that was set up for them. Uh, I, and I've heard a hundred different stories on this, and I'm not saying any of them are legitimate. But I'm trying to figure out and put this into relation of what you're saying with the agent and with the trustee and the other party who is supposed to be transferring this properly while you're not supposed to be handling these Federal Reserve notes yourself. Maybe I don't know enough about this to talk about it intelligently at this point. I'm just, you know, going by what I heard well, tonight and trying to put the picture together. Right. Well, there's there's the concept that we're not supposed to use the Federal Reserve notes because, like Brian said, it's it's they're meant for the uh, government personnel. But because mm -hmm. it's a monopolized thing, it's conveyed that we are allowed to use them, but we're only supposed to use them for private matters. Equal exchanges between myself and another man. We're, we're not technically supposed to be using them to go to Walmart and purchase our, our goods. We're not <coughs> supposed to be using them to go to the grocery store and buy our groceries. We're supposed to be doing mm -hmm. those through um, orders to pay because we have well, an automatic exemption. Here, here's the thing, too. Take a look at your $1 bill. What's it say on it? It says it's good for private and public debt. Well, are you dictating when you're using these notes? Are you dictating how it's being used um, for major things, say, like your electric bill, mortgage bill, or even cashing a check that you receive from your employment? Are you doing a general endorsement or a restricted endorsement? I do a restricted endorsement on mine. Why? Here, because here, I'm, hand, I'm handling it privately, not publicly. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what my concept of it, guys. When I establish the PMA and I want to uh, set up the escrow account or escrow agreement, what I'm going to do is that certificate of live birth that's authenticated and has full faith and credit. It's going to be, get placed with the bank, with the financial institution. And that's the surety. That's the, that's the thing that's going to indemnify the broker that I'm then able going to be able to contract with to do the transfer. Exactly. That's your indemnity. That, yes, right. that's your indemnity. Yeah. And when you deposit that with a local financial institution and hire a broker as a trustee, he is indemnified by that, as well as you. You are indemnified by under full faith and credit. You have a prior exemption. So they can't charge you at all. They already know that. It's got to be charged to the person, unless there be fraud. Now, if you're hiring this trustee, the broker, to do the transactions and assign him to follow according to the, uh, uh, the banking regulations within the law, He's got to do that, whether you know that or not, whether you know those laws or not. That's what your assignment is supposed to be. You're supposed to assign the professional broker to do that. And he's supposed to do it in good faith within the limits of the law. Once that transaction well, is done, it, it, it's like your, your utility bill. You're not supposed to do anything with that, but send that to your broker to have him broker that transaction. So is he brokering that out of the full faith and credit account of that certificate of live birth that you're now putting on deposit after you set up the PMA? Correct. So, so it's full faith and credit, and they know it. And instead of getting, instead of giving a um, qualified signature or a authorized signature 
um, when we look up the medallion stamp um, signature guarantee program, we see that it avoids all of the, the uh, customer identification programs. And those are your numerical identifications. So you no longer use numerical identifications authorized by somebody else. You're again, sticking to the private side with private credentials. And that authorized representative, the bank broker is gonna give a unqualifiedly guaranteed signature as the authorized representative of the trust as trustee he's going to carry that liability and that's what holds him to the law he stays within the law knowing that as long as he doesn't step outside of the law he's good and as long as i stay in the law he's good if i happen to try to perpetrate fraud right from the beginning from my end he's already indemnified by the certificate of live birth again under full faith and credit so if you that's, if you, that's indemnity for both of us so to use the hypothetical, if you were to uh, quote unquote order this trustee to pay off your mortgage, he would be paying that off just like he would the, the example you used of the utility bill. You wouldn't be forwarding him any Federal Reserve notes or credit card accounts or anything like that. He would be using the full faith and credit of that certificate of live birth that you put on deposit. Do I have that correct so far? Correct. That's my opinion. Okay. Like well, I said, I'm here. going back into the commercial world myself. I don't know, but that's the way I'm planning it. That's the way I'm going to try to work it. And here's what okay, I've done for the last four years. I've kept everybody in touch, and I'll keep doing so. I think well, he wants well, an example. I think you want an example. Right. Let, Let me give you an example. You want an example? Yeah, and I want you to understand, I'm not trying to hold you or get you to commit to something here. I'm trying to learn something. Right. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. We're all doing the same thing, and that's why I've got, I've got to let you know. This is just my opinion. I haven't done it yet, and as soon as I get right. experience, I'm going to let you know because ain't nobody going to stop me from trying. If you want an mm -hmm. example, I'll give you an example. Okay. If that's what you're looking for. Um. And because one thing I've been we've been touting uh, during this call is the non-interest bearing account, which means if you are not receiving a benefit, you also are not holding a liability. Okay. <clears throat> and I tested this out about three years ago or so, looking at the biblical examples and how things are done in banking. And so I went and set the account up that way. And then afterwards, I waited a month or two, and I went and I bounced two checks on my account. Well, in our world, yeah, we would call it bouncing a check. It was a rubber check or whatever it bounced, right? Um, mm -hmm. I, re I received a notice back from the bank of insufficient funds. Mm -hmm. And on that... Uh, notice it said amount charged for insufficient funds $30 and then down at the bottom where it said amount charged what did it say oh my god it said zero mm -hmm. there was zero charge for insufficient funds why they couldn't hold a liability against me because I was not accepting a benefit mm -hmm. um as soon as the you accept thing, that benefit again, they can apply that charge. Yeah, right. Well, the, and the same thing <laughs> kind of happened accidentally 
with an EFT. And this goes back to when people were trying to do the TDA account stuff and all that crap. And um, I accidentally wrote two checks are from a closed account, and both and that account was a non-interest-bearing account as well. Um, I just grabbed the wrong checkbook. Is all this happened. And one was for electric bill, which was local. And their one was for mortgage payment, which was another state somewhere, which would have made that an EFT, an electronic fund transfer. Well, the electric company called me like two days later and said, uh, yeah, that check was no good, dude. <laughs> and can you give us something else? And I was like, oh, my God, sorry. So I gave them the number for a different account to care. Didn't even think about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. almost, a year later, I, almost a year later, I went to the bank and I, I was doing a transfer of accounts and stuff like that. And it was the manager of the bank and she was looking at the account on the computer and stuff. And I saw she had like a weird look on her face. I said, what, what do you see? And it looks like you're looking at something weird. She said, yeah. She said, I'm seeing that a check came back. I said, yeah, what's that from? She said, well, it was from an electric company. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. This is what happened. I explained it to her. And I told her, I said, you know what? Something weird also. I just remembered. I, I wrote another check that same day uh, to a mortgage company. Do you find that there? She looked all through it. She says, no, I don't see anything here. I'm like, so that check evidently was accepted. She said, yeah. And she went back and looked at an old account. She she spent like 20 minutes looking all over. She goes, I don't understand how that was even accepted. <laughs> and I knew in my head, I knew in my head what happened. I knew what went on, but I wasn't going to tell her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've done that before, uh, sending a, uh, and, and I only did it to kind of, delay them but uh, i'd send the phone company the uh electric bill and send the electric company the phone bill <laughs> they call me well up. no yeah we got the I, check. I, well send it back i'll send it back out to you <laughs> well here's the thing i didn't accidentally switch them to different places what i did was i wrote a check off a closed account one yep. was local and one went somewhere else well, since the other one for the mortgage went somewhere else, it ended up being an EFT, an electronic fund transfer. Which yeah, I don't think they done, can backtrack track those. Well, that can be done under a closed account. If you look in uh, Black's Law 4th regarding closed accounts and what closed accounts are for, closed accounts are for uh, setting off debt. Hmm. I have to look that one. Yeah, I thought you knew about that, Keith. Yeah, but that in black. <laughs> Is that the last? If I'd have known that, I'd have been using my damn closed account for the last four years. Is that the last black dictionary? Are you that kidding me? Bigger your pardon? I'm sorry, I said, is is the closed account, you're referring to Black's fourth. 
Is that the last Black's Dictionary that that definition shows up in? Uh, well, the last mm. Black's Dictionary is probably Black's 10th or 11th. No, I'm talking about Black's 4th fourth, fourth edition. It's either a 4th no, edition I, or 2nd edition, but... I'm sure they've still got closed the count in the uh, uh, current editions. If you go, if you go into tactical sovereignty and go to the search bar and just put in closed account, I'm sure it'll pop up. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let me ask one more question. Then I I, I don't want to belabor the point and, and waste your time. But um, so how does one know if you're using this agent slash trustee to do this for you? How do you know what you have to work with in that account when you're telling them, okay, pay this utility bill, uh, pay Walmart for the stuff I ordered, uh, do this, do that, pay off my mortgage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How do you know what's in that account to work with? Where do you have an accounting of that? Um, you keep that yourself as you go along because it's, it's full faith and credit. So it's pretty much everything you need to use um, through this quote, social system, this is the way it's supposed to operate. You're only supposed to use your Federal Reserve notes for, for private transactions, private exchanges between like you and me. Um, you want to come over and, and uh, um, see my knife sharpening shop and, and get a knife sharpening, you're supposed to pay me in cash. But at the same time, I'm not paying Uncle Sam taxes either. I'm not some automated clearinghouse. I'm not some transfer agent. I'm not some fiscal agent. I'm not an agent of any sort. I'm operating privately myself. <laughs> Walmart, McDonald's, Keith. Burger King, they're all operating supposedly privately, but they've got a quasi-contract with the government applying taxation for income that we're not making. Uh, Keith, I, I would say actually go into Title 31 of the United States Code and look up government obligations. Does that sound about right? Yeah. I well, I've been I've been hitting 31 up hard hard here lately. You know that. That's about that's where I'm talking about the uh, unqualified, the guaranteed signature. Um, let's see here. I think government obligations under uh, Title 31 are very important because all like Walter Burian brought up last week. Almost all mortgages are held by the government. They're all the obligee. Documentary evidence requirement for government obligations. Okay. I'm going to hop in the chat bar here and pop this in the chat. Cool. Yeah, because these are all really government obligations, uh, especially when you're looking at the bankruptcy of the U.S. And, you know, one of the things I guess I'll bring up here, <clears throat> just to let people know, was that when I first started learning stuff and researching stuff and looking at the U.S. bankruptcy, one of the things that I found out was that, oh, my God, Canada was going through the same thing at about the same time. Oh, my God. Didn't Canada come out with a Patriot Act right after the U.S. came out with a Patriot Act? Wow. Oh, guess Wasn't what? Wasn't that about when the same the time they converted to their own internal currency and internal banking? Yeah. 
Right. Well, when the U.S. was going through bankruptcy and Canada was going bankrupt through bankruptcy, guess what? So was Australia. They were going through yeah. it at and, one of the and, the same year. And realize, just about. folks. And I'm like, oh my God, realize, this is realize, all folks, a worldwide scam. Yeah, and realize here, folks, when when Canada um, went through all that and des- decided to start their own internal banking and they quit their contract with the Federal Reserve, IMF, blah, blah, blah. That's all that happened. It wasn't a crime. There wasn't a breach of contract. They didn't no longer owe Federal Reserve. They cut their contract. Okay, we're done. Federal Reserve didn't owe owe Canada. Canada didn't. Done. That's all you got to do, people. You're done. I no longer wish to uh, perform my contracts with you. However, I do have this full faith and credit that is due. Well, that's what Hamilton, that's what Hamilton and a lot of the founders were really trying to do. And Adams, that was always the biggest argument was over banking. It was always over banking. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. When people did run on the bank, they, because they ran the bank. And when when the banks came, uh, opened back up again, all of a sudden people were subject to the banks. Something got screwed up. We need to get back and, to that. You know, and you know what? Today, it's getting worse and worse. Um, you know, it, I'll bring up my workplace. My workplace, um, myself and I'll say the cage manager at the casino, the one in charge of all the money there, we are the only ones that receive a check. Everybody else gets their money direct deposited into their account at their bank. And I had a big problem when they first brought that up. And I called, uh, air quotes, human resources, end of air quotes, because I'm not a human resource. And I asked them, I said, excuse me. I said, why are you paying the bank for my labor instead of me? I said, what do you mean? I said, when it's time for my paycheck, why do I not get the paycheck? Why are you giving it to a bank instead? And I said, I demand my paycheck. And they said, oh, no problem. Yep. Uh, there were actually, if you want to go into uh, a great oracle like Google or something, uh, there was a woman from McDonald's who complained about this. And said no if i work i get paid you don't pay my bank you pay me yeah you, and, you have a right to have your instruments in paper form so you can give that signature in the proper way you wish to give it to clarify your right. status if they take that away from you you don't you, you don't have that opportunity you have to stop the electronic transactions in order to get that paper form to assert it Plain and simple. And that that's the direction we have to move in. And actually, that's something I'm working on right now as far as our public identity. Because I, I think what's happening with the social identity with uh, China and other places is automatically going to come right here. And I think we need to put a stop to it. Yeah. Well, and that's why I've been speaking about the Numident report. I don't know if you've caught it lately. But you guys look up the Numident record, or excuse me, record, Numident record, 
Numidant stands for numerical identification system that's used by Social Security Administration. And they have a request form that you can get um, right offline, a PDF filer. And it's called a Numinant Record Request Form Printout. Um, on this form, it says, and I'll quote, I am the non-resident human being and not the statutory, quote, individual, end quote, that this false record pertains. They clarify it's a wow. false record right from the start. Wow. So it's, That's amazing. It's... Um, it's it's just a matter yeah brian it's just a matter of getting a, a copy of this report not even a request form not even filling it out sending it to the secretary of state having it authenticated and then clear the record that prosecutor that just brought a charge excuse me if you can if you uh, believe that you can progress far forward with the, these uh this personal subject matter presented by the prosecution First of all, I'd like to point out that if he claims personal and subject matter jurisdiction, I can prove he's bringing fraud upon the court. If he claims false. that he has subject, if he claims that he has personal and subject matter jurisdiction, I can prove that he doesn't. I can <coughs> do this because it's known in, on, and for the record, and I have proof here in my hands, authenticated by your own Secretary of State, that the record is false. Ah, they admit it's false. They admit it. The entire record, including the credit profile number, it's all false. Every last bit of it. That's why I'm saying that it might be a great idea to start using this credit profile report or credit profile number using the CPN. Because, you know, what I, what I found, like I said, everything I looked at, it all said, it talked about all these people that went to prison for it. Oh, what's that mean to me? To me, that tells me they don't want you to do it. And so when I go and look at what the FBI said, the FBI says, oh, this is supposed to be a free process supported by the Social Security Administration for you to use and hide your Social Security Administration number. Mm -hmm. Damn, that sounds perfect to me. And I think it's Title 50, Section 783. That I think that's a good one you need to look up to. Uh, there's a lot in Title 783 50. 783 or 738. It, it talks yeah, about giving that information up to a military member. Yeah, I know Title I mean, 50 it's... talks a lot about that. <clears throat> oh, all right, guys. Uh, you ready to run, Keith? Yeah, yeah. It's been a good night. All right. Despite my laptop yeah. crashing. Oh, well. No, you came I'll through great. Soon. I wrote it. Ah, that's all good. I appreciate you coming on. And um, you know what? Uh, you've got a new laptop coming on, you said? Well, yeah, I got to send this one back tomorrow, and I'll, I'll order another one tomorrow. Uh, do you have an account or anything where somebody could freaking uh, donate to you? Yeah, I've got a PayPal link. Uh, why don't you throw that in the chat? All right, let me grab it real quick.
In the meantime, I certainly appreciate everybody coming and joining us tonight. Um, hope to see you again uh, next week and following up after that, um, growing and learning with us. Because um, like I said earlier, there, some of us are just missing a key here and there. It's just going to be a matter of coming together and, and discussing it like we are now. And sooner or later, things are going to start clicking. So, Absolutely. Are these, and, most, you know, what, are these, most, okay. are these mo mostly open calls you have, or do you generally have a speaker? Uh, sometimes they're open calls. Sometimes we have a, a guest. Uh, but we try and give people time to come on. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate I appreciate the information that you provided tonight and you answering my questions. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I thank you for being here as well. And uh, you know, that's really what these calls are supposed to be about. This is what this podcast is supposed to be about. Was for people in tactical sovereignty group and stuff to come on with each other because you know what, it is so hard to find like-minded people. It's so hard to find discussions with each other in the public. You know, people look at you like deer in the headlights. You know what I mean? So it's good when we can all come together and discuss things. And we're on the same wavelength. We know what's going on. You know what I mean? And that's what's important. Well, I think one of the I think one of the I think one of the problems today is that uh, a lot of people are very singularly minded. And they believe that they have the only way to, you know, quote unquote, fix the problem. And I, I think this really is an issue with many, many moving parts constructed over many years. And one really needs to look at this very, you know, and not just subjectively, but objectively and put these parts together and make them work. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot more to this than some people make out. There's too many people looking for, you know, a simple, oh, I want a simple answer that I do A, B, and C, and all of my problems are going to go away. Um, you know, this didn't happen like that, and I think that's somewhat unrealistic to think that it's going to go away like that. How do you feel that 5% of the people have souls? Have you guys ever done any type of research on that? Five percent of the people have what? Souls, an actual souls. Because you know how the general public, when you start talking about this, man, it's it's <laughs> it's funny the reactions you get. I didn't understand what you said. Five percent what? Oh, I, I said that. Um, do you believe that only five percent of the population on this earth actually has a soul? I still don't understand. You actually have a what? I yeah, a I have soul. no clue what you're talking about. Your spirit. Um, you oh, know, the, the breath of soul. God. You, you said soul. Yes, soul. I think the majority of people are totally in contact with their soul. They really don't know what their soul even is. Well, that's my opinion. Disconnected, I agree. Okay, there's my PayPal. Thank you, I appreciate it. Uh, so, a PayPal for somebody, for Keith is uh, in the chat. And I really recommend people help out. 
leads things in the right direction. So anyway, uh, we were talking about um, whether people's soul is in the right direction. And I, I think the majority oh. of people are soulless. I really do. Uh, a lot of people I talk to, it's like looking in their eyes, they're, they're blank. They're empty. You're looking in empty eyes. And yeah. it, it's a scary, scary world we're in. It is. It is. We, Absolutely. I, I, I've I've written about this a few times. You know, I do a little bit of writing, um, but we've got a bunch of opaque faces running around, and, and I I kind of used to be like that. I it was at a point where I isolated so heavily that um, I just really didn't like people. Well, come to find out, I didn't like people because I was frowning at them all the time, and they were giving me the same look back. So. So I learned to smile, and things changed around a little bit. So we've got to realize that um, we've got to do this ourselves and quit running around like them ghosts them soulless people. Well, here's the thing, though. I believe that we're the ones who are actually running all of this. This is our energy is going to, you know, to create everything that we see here. Well, exactly. And that's, well, that's what I mean. The people that are that are running around with, you know, like ghosts and stuff, a lot of things are happening to them. And they don't know how, why, nothing. We affect our lives by, by knowing how we affect it and taking a, uh, making great use of it. Absolutely. Hopefully we can get into this, more to into this topic more uh, next week or in the future. Oh, yeah, anytime, brother. I, I love esoteric talks. <laughs> I I uh, I know the magic of the words. At least I think I do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, did a video, I, I did a video earlier trying to explain to people about the word phonic. You know, in the beginning was word, right? And we think about the phonics of it, you know. <clears throat> you know, pH is beginning of phonic, right? Because it's actually a breakdown of uh, four different things. When we think about pH, we think about the pH balance of the body. What is that? Well, that's the, 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 the fluid balance of our body. Is it alkaline or, or acidic? And when we break down pH itself, it stands for the power of hydrogen. Hydrogen being water generation. What do you mean water generation? That sounds like power, you know, like current. Yep, yep. Okay, so then we talk about onic. Onic is two different words. On, coming from O-N-E, on, and I-C, ick, such as in tonic. And onic itself stands for drug characteristics or the actions of drugs. Much similar to pharmaceutical, which is related as magic. So we think, so we see when we see the word phonic, we see power of water generation is magic so when you speak just the verbalization of what you vocalize can come true you can move mountains with your words if you know what you're doing learn the right words get back to the roots get back to the root cause so you can know the root words so you can know the root knowledge so you can realize yeah, so the realize with your real eyes 
Keith, how often do we see EL? Oh, quite often. Everything is EL. Electronics, electricity, electors. I mean, come on. It's everywhere. And it, it, to me, uh, this is the realm of the adversary. Yep. It is. This is the realm of the eagle. See, it's not until we overcome the eagle that we get off of the land and quit swimming in the water and we're able to soar. Kind of like the, the, the bird of prey that swoops down and takes away the serpents so that the, his uh, like kind are safe. You know, Keith, I, I had to crack up uh, here a few months ago. Uh, I was dealing on my poker table, and there was a player there who he has admitted he loves hitting buttons. He loves pushing people's buttons. <laughs> somebody, somebody said something to me, and he just started laughing. And they looked at him, and they said, why are you laughing? He said, you can say whatever you want to Brian. He says, Brian isn't going to ignore you. It doesn't matter to him. He doesn't care. It doesn't <laughs> hit his button. Yeah. And that's the one thing I kind of prided myself about is that, you know what? You're not going to hit my buttons. <laughs> uh, I'm yeah. just going to laugh at you. All right. Yeah, that's all. Uh, this knowledge. Yeah. That's the way we should really operate in life. Don't, you know, uh, let it be like water off a freaking duck's back. You know, yeah. forget about it. Don't let it affect you. All right, guys. Uh, gosh, this has been a great week tonight. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. So I guess, I guess we'll close out. I recommend everybody uh, check out Keith. He, he put his PayPal in the chat. Check it out. Even if people uh, listen to this later on, they can still go in there and grab it and utilize that and make a donation. That'd be a great thing. Um, yes, and I would certainly appreciate it. I got to tell everybody all yep. the time, if it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't be doing this. Absolutely. If it wasn't for everybody here, he wouldn't be doing it. And like I tell everybody every week, you know what? You have to learn who you really are where you're really at and where you're really from because you've been deceived on every level of those things. Um, hey, catch you all next week. And great call. You can con- great call, Brian. Thank you. You can contact me or Keith at Tactical Sovereignty on Facebook as well. Administering the estate. Good night, y'all. Thank you. Good night, guys. Good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.